Hey, this is Ken Art of Wake Up Carolina. Because we're in such demand, we decided to do a podcast. Well, actually, it's like an archive of a previously broadcast show on the radio. So it's not a podcast. Well, it is presented as a podcast. So invite people to join us for whatever it is you just said they can join us for. That's right. Enjoy, and it starts now. Good morning. Welcome to Wake Up Carolina. Friday morning, April the 1st, 843-661-0937 is our number. Good morning, Royal Rev of Radio. Good morning. I would say good morning, Cato, but Cato not being here any longer. Wish him nothing but the best. Uh, okay, do we can, we, can we explain to our listeners that we believe by sometimes next week you'll be back in your Robin chair <laughs> and we'll have somebody in, in that chair uh, <laughs> doing the job that um, Cato formerly did. And what we've done, guys, we've got someone hired, mm-hmm. but we sent them off to Southern School <laughs> to make sure they ask about your parents, if your dog's okay, um, how's the weather suiting you. Really? Yeah, th- those um, those pleasantries that Cato is exchanging. How's your mom and them doing? Um, yeah, there you go. Cato and I spoke the same language. How's your mom and them doing? <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I want to say something real quick. We, we have a, um, a friend to community broadcasters. And by that, I mean, he's listened to our show for a long time. The bad boy is sports radio. Um, Alan Smothers over on, um, ESPN radio, um, refers to himself as Billy D and Billy D has been a friend of ours. He's an employee out at, um, out of McCall farms. He's the guy that drives around in the peanut patch boiled peanut van and, um, had a stroke earlier this week unexpectedly obviously strokes don't just some of you're not like hey i think i'm going to have a stroke sometimes next thursday or friday but i got in real critical condition had to be air left airlifted uh, from from my understanding uh, down to grand strand regional medical center and um we wish him nothing but the best and mm-hmm. are certainly praying for he and his family i've known billy a long time here i go with a, a, a you want a kato is if you ready yeah my wife cut his mama's hair for many 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 years so i've gotten to know billy over the years and know him real well and um he actually was in the uh, the bouncy house business at one time and uh, one of my boys had an early early birthday and he provided the bouncy house um but i've known him a long time we've argued about gamecocks and tigers he's a big tiger fan you folks know i'm a big gamecock fan but um but he's been a friend to community broadcasters and a friend to me and i hope and pray that um things work out for the better, but he's had a tough go of it this week. So um as a family of listeners, let's remember Billy D and our prayers. Uh eight four three six six one oh nine three seven is our number. Um when you're a hot shot, big shot, big deal, um, such as yours truly, um, you get it <laughs> you get invited you get invited to some of these um some of these uh, webinars and some of these um special events from the american spectator the wall street journal and the national review um yesterday i was invited uh well i was invited late last week to um attend virtually a um a conservative isolationist gathering in our nation's capital to push against i guess escalation in ukraine and i took the opportunity and did it i actually went online for about, I didn't do for the entire two and a half minutes, but it would have been uh, some of the voices, Rev, that I think you would know. Um, Senator Rand Paul, mm-hmm. noted non-interventionist. Um, I think Rand Paul would probably slide off into isolationist from time to time. Um, J.D. Vance, senatorial candidate in Ohio. Now, here's what people need to understand about J.D.'s campaign, and I'm deeply concerned uh, because for whatever reason, J.D.'s had a slide in the poll, and I'll explain in a second why I think that's the case. Oh. 
um, yeah, recently, in the last couple of weeks, he's had a tough go of it. And that campaign, excuse me, that primary is in March, excuse me, May. It's May 5th. It's not in June. So it's about a month before we settle our um, disputes or political grievances here in the 7th Congressional District. The state of Ohio will have its primary in, uh, let me get the date right. I don't want to mislead our listeners here. Not that you care. Um, not that the majority of you are voting and, um, it, is, it is relevant to the story. Well, I mean, it's, and it's a big you're, deal. If you're talking about J.D. Well, and it's, and if you're an America Firster and you've tried to engage in the, uh, the orbit of America First, yeah, it's a big deal. But, yes, May 3rd, the Ohio Senate primary will be held on May 3rd. So, anyway, I attended the event virtually yesterday. I didn't stay long, 45 minutes maybe, which is uh, long enough to hear J.D. speak and Rand Paul. It's kind of a roundtable. Molly Hemingway, uh, the editor of The Federalist, was there. Um, she's a noted non-interventionist. Um, the American Conservative, which is a website I read a lot on, um, it was one of the co-sponsors of the conference, and it was basically founded on its opposition to the Iraq War. A lot of conservatives um, felt that they were far less interventionist than the Bush Doctrine, and the American Conservative, uh, really and truly a lot of the writers of the American Conservative, left the Weekly Standard. And the Weekly Standard is now defunct. Bill Kristol's brainchild. Uh, we know how he felt about America first and Trump and the non-interventionists. But, I mean, Bill Crystal's made a, a swell living on the backs of intervention and promoting and hawking and all these other sorts of things. But um, but yesterday, Rand Paul spoke, J.D. Vance. Those would have been the two politicos, Rev, that we would have most interest in. Um, yeah, I had uh, a few others, but Hemingway was the other person that I thought most of our, or some in our audience would know because she is a Fox News contributor. We've gotten to know her through um, her visits uh, or via her visits on Fox News. But uh, Rachel Bovard is the Senior Director of Policy at the Conservative Partnership Institute. Um, she argued that the conflict in Ukraine is being filtered to the United States citizenry um, with a kind of a mass narrative control. In other words, it's morality. It's uh, She said, and I'll quote, um, an element of narrative shaping that plays into America's moral fervor. Uh, there's a hype that captures all of us when it includes the morality of the moment, the morality of the issue. Now, J.D. Vance has had trouble in the polls because J.D. Vance said about 11 days ago, um, I want to quote him correctly, I don't really care what happens one way or the other in Ukraine. And he didn't take it back. He said, I'm tired of, no, he said, spare me the performative affection for the Ukrainians. He's since fallen into the polls by about 11 percentage points mm. over there. That's about a point a day. Um, it does seem to be insensitive. It seems to be crass. But is it wrong? I mean, is it really and truly wrong? Um, is it fair to the American people for us to intervene in the way we've intervened? Now, you could say we've not intervened, but we've very much intervened. I mean, in, in a, in a, if you really go all the way back, we had a lot to do with the Ukrainian government. The suggestions of Ukraine potentially being allowed into NATO have not been um, Putin's conspiracy. That's pretty well founded. I mean, there's been multiple conversations about Ukraine potentially joining NATO. And what J.D. Vance is saying is, let's dig a little deeper. I mean, I get that we are a, uh, we, can, we perceive ourselves to be moral and ethical and the American experiment uh, it, it, it doesn't suggest it demands of our morality and ethics to be a part of this. And and Rand Paul and J.D. Vance are two politicians who were just saying, well, I mean, J.D. Vance is a politician, won't it be? Rand Paul's a U.S. senator from Kentucky. 
Um, and and they're they're kind of standing firm that they're not going to allow this moral fervor to 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 demand they respond in ways that they don't believe are in the best interest of the American people. And JD Vance said yesterday in the uh, in the webinar or the virtual meeting that you know is it worth Americans? I mean, take take the working class of America. Um, I stopped pumping gas yesterday at $55 because it made me furious. So the day before yesterday, didn't get gas yesterday, the day before. I just stopped at 55 bucks. I could fill my truck up. I got a small pickup. I could spill, fill my truck up for about $38, maybe 40 41 or 2 if we had somewhat of a rise in gas prices. And I stopped yesterday at 55 Now, I do okay. I'm not a wealthy man. I'm not a broke man. I do okay. Um, what, what about the, the, the 90% of Americans who are living paycheck to paycheck? And, and yeah, I mean, you know, the, I, I got to believe that there's a, in other words, would we rather Americans, you know, would we rather it take $40 to fill your truck up instead of 60 and the people in Ukraine got to figure it out for themselves? Or do we believe that it's worth the American people, the working class in America paying an extra 40 bucks a week to fill their, or their wife's vehicle up? In the name of, you know, we're, 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 we're sticking with Ukraine. We're standing for Ukraine. How many times have we heard that? I'm standing with Ukraine. Okay, you're standing with Ukraine. You're spending 20 bucks more a week. I mean, there's got to be a debate here. We're not allowing a debate. And, um, and the conference yesterday basically suggested that, as usual, the American people have chosen to um, be persuaded by this, um, this morality argument, this mass narrative control as Rachel Bovard calls it, and, and she still suggests that we shouldn't be as involved as we are in Ukraine. Um, now, now there, there's a, a fair debate about have we been so, slow walking or soft stepping into um, providing weaponry, and but, but a lot of this preempts the invasion. A lot of this is about, you know, us putting in place a Ukrainian government. Um suggesting to the world that maybe NATO could be considered as a member of, um, you know, the, the Western creep. And look, I'm a Westerner. I'm not defending Putin. I'll never defend Putin. Nobody has a right to invade a sovereign nation, in, in particular as barbaric as he's chosen to. But, but J.D. Vance is willing to say something that is going to probably cost him, I mean, I'm ready to say it, probably going to cost him the election in, in Ohio. Really? I mean, I don't think he can dig from under that. Because once again, the voters of Ohio are no different than the voters of South Carolina. But let me ask you this. Is his position, would that be considered an America first position? Very much so. It's an extreme position of America first. In, in other words, we're trying to get to an America first um, agenda in the Republican Party. We believe that's where the energy is. You would call yourself an America firster. The guy mm -hmm. that I told you put on the political event a couple of days ago with, uh, with Herschel Walker, everybody else there was a bit googly-eyed. I mean, he's a sports hero especially if you're a Southerner. I mean, if you're a Southerner and you're, you're, you're a product of the 80s, it doesn't get much bigger than Herschel Walker. I mean, you, you think about the Georgia Bulldogs and Herschel Walker's Heisman Trophy and they winning a national championship. Um, I mean, Clemson's had a, a phenomenal run. Clemson doesn't have a Herschel Walker. I mean, Herschel is a, I mean, he's legendary. So, so when, when the guy, I could call his name, but I won't. When, when the guy introduces Herschel, I mean, he emphatically says, here's your America first Republican from the state of Georgia, the great state of Georgia. That guy's no more an America firster than a man in the moon. I know him. I know how he makes a living. He makes a living convincing American politicians that there's trouble brewing all over the world and we better be on guard. 
And that's probably the one thing that leads me to believe Herschel has a good chance to win, him being there. Herschel has portrayed himself as a kind of a, I, I, I don't know, a Trump-associating America First Republican. And when I heard this guy was going to be there, and then he gets to do the introduction, I'm going like, okay, Herschel may have a chance to win this thing because there's no way that guy would be here because he's nowhere near an America Firster. But he, but he introduces him once again with this fervor of America First. But yes, I do believe that J.D. Vance is taking a, a, a stand as an America Firster. Now, maybe he's doing this to an extreme. Um, the, the, the truth will come out one day when we find out how involved or, or not involved we should have been in Ukraine. But, but he's basically saying that I would much rather the guy working at the lumber yard be able to fill his pickup up with gas for 40 bucks than 60 and they're you know the ukrainians and russians are figuring out their own their own problems amongst themselves this border dispute um nato's all of a sudden the police force and, and really and truly rev that's what we've become accustomed to that's the natural inclinations of the american public um we light buildings up in blue and yellow now I mean, I see it all the time. I got a, um, I got a gift from a group I spoke to. I don't know if they intentionally did this or not, but the ribbon was blue and yellow. I mean, it's never been blue and yellow before. I don't know if that's symbolism or, um, or them expressing their support for the Ukrainians, but it makes us feel better when we're cheering for the good guy, that there's a morality component here. And, and Rachel Bovard and Molly Hemingway and Rand Paul and J.D. Vance believe that if we are prioritizing as America Firsters, it would be, you know, let the guy fill his truck up with gas for 40 bucks and the Ukrainians and Russians deal with whatever they got to deal with. Um, but, but we've not done that. The, the John F. Kennedy Center for the Performing Arts in Washington, D.C., since the, um, the day after the invasion have been every single night um, lit up in blue and yellow lights. I mean, that, that's the... Um, that, that, that's the mass narrative control. I mean, everybody's pulling for Ukraine. Therefore, I better pull for Ukraine. And if I'm pulling for Ukraine and I care deeply about the people and plot in Ukraine, that, then I, that I kind of got to say, send them planes. I, I, I kind of got to say, um, maybe we aren't doing enough. Maybe we need to do a little more. I'm, I'm watching these innocent people get slaughtered. Maybe we, you know, and, and that goes back to this, the point I'm trying to make is we're not making decisions, or I don't think we are, and J.D. Vance is arguing that we aren't. Rand Paul and, and Molly Hemingway are arguing we aren't. They're arguing that the majority of decisions we're making are, are can't be separated from this moral dimension that becomes a part of every single decision we make. Um, Vance actually said yesterday, I mean, I heard him say it verbatim, that Ukraine is not in the vital interest of the United States. It's simply not. You know, if, if they were to invade a NATO nation, obviously by treaty and by agreement, we've got kind of a responsibility, not a moral responsibility, a legal or a political responsibility nonetheless. But we don't have that in Ukraine. I mean, Ukraine's not a NATO nation. We've never made a deal with Ukraine. We did prop up a government. We, we convinced them. Maybe the biggest mistake Ukraine made was trusting the American government. Give up your nuclear arsenal and we'll protect you. I mean, how many of you knew that? I mean, that's, just, that's kind of the deal we made. We'll help you implement a government. We'll implement government for you. I, I, I just, I am so, and I watched this yesterday, and I get real frustrated by the American public's unwillingness to dig a little bit deeper and find out. I mean, do you trust the nation? Zelensky is now Churchill. Go back six months and check out Zelensky. Zelensky's no Winston Churchill. 
by any stretch of the imagination. I trust Russia none. I don't trust Ukraine much more. I'm sorry. I didn't say there weren't good people in Ukraine. They're good people in Russia. I mean, they're absolutely good people in Russia. They're good people in Iraq and Afghanistan. There are people who don't want war all over the world. I mean, the people of Iran probably don't want to be associated with war and some of the things uh, Iraq would be the same, Afghanistan. I mean, all these countries have elements of good. They're good Russian people. I mean, they're good, decent Russian people who wish no harm of the United States. But political leadership leads us down this road, and all of a sudden, um, the government that we helped set up in Ukraine is attacked by a neighbor, uh, a communist neighbor, an expansionist neighbor, and we believe it's okay, and, and there are no limits because, once again, we have a moral obligation. Well, what is our moral obligation to the, to the nation of Ukraine? I mean, obviously, personally and collectively, we can have a caring sensation for Ukraine. Nobody likes to see buildings get blown up and innocent people get killed. But can we stop that from ever happening around the world? I mean, that's been, that kind of goes back to the Bush Doctrine. And I think it's American imperialism. And I guess the reason I like J.D. Vance and I like Rand Paul, it's as simple as this. I don't think they buy into American imperialism because I don't think they believe American imperialism is good for the rank-and-file American worker, um, the, the, the American citizen, wherever you are, whatever walk of life you may be in. And I think we've convinced ourselves that, um, that Ukraine is to be trusted. That Ukraine has the moral high ground. Maybe they do. I and mean, I think in this situation, they do. They didn't invade a sovereign nation. Russia did. But is it in the interest of the American people? And I'm arguing, no, not really. And maybe the greatest mistake Ukraine made was trusting our government to do what they said they were going to do when they hardly ever do. Let's go to the phone. Here's Dale in Florence. Good morning, Dale. Good morning, gentlemen. And, and we've talked about this before. Now, how much of this talk about ukraine is to draw our attention away from the border and like you were talking about ken 55 dollars and you didn't even fill up your, your your gas tank and food prices come up i was reading an article last night they're looking at food prices going up another five or six percent in the next few months on top of what we're already paying and uh and then we find out that this administration is looking at getting rid of Title 42. Nobody's talking about that. That means we're going to have 6 million uh, illegals coming across the border this year instead of four. Nobody's talking about that. Um, and can I see where you're going? How much do we need to be involved in Ukraine when we have all these other problems going on? And Ukraine's believing in us. Talk to Afghanistan. See how that worked out for them. You guys have a good weekend. Thank you, Dale. I mean, the question I'm posing, and Hemingway posted yesterday, are the American people being targeted by a propaganda campaign? I think the answer is yes. I mean, you know, we can debate the morality, but there, there's no doubt about that. And this is a, but, but J.D. Vance says, I'm not falling for that. I mean, I get the moral argument, but Vance once again says, um, I want to make sure I get, spare me the performative affection um, for Ukraine. Uh, now, once again, he's fallen 11 percentage points in the polls since saying, I honestly don't care what happens in Ukraine. And, and they kind of gave him a chance to clarify, and he just stood there. I said it. I mean it. And it may cost him the election. Probably will, because it's less than a month. And I don't know how many people, I think there are a lot of people find that to be crass and 
and standoffish and uh, but what does that tell you about the America First movement? If he was attracting quote America First voters, and they seem to be turned off potentially by that sort of commentary, what does that well, tell I mean, you we, about we, America we, First? We've settled this, Rev, and you know this. We, you and I, and the majority of us, have settled on a good guy and a bad guy. I mean, if we're having a conflict, there's got to be a good guy and a bad guy. And I'm arguing that this is much more complicated. I mean, you know, got cowboy wearing the black hat, cowboy wearing the good hat. This is much more complicated than that. In, in, one, in one failed swoop, we turned Ukraine into the bastion of democracy and Zelensky into Winston Churchill. And that's absurd. I mean, we should be more responsible than that. But once again, we're pretty good at falling for a propaganda campaign. Um, CNN is pushing for escalation. NBC is pushing for escalation, all in the name of good guy, bad guy, Vance, Paul, Hemingway, some of these other non-interventionist voices, uh, what I call non-American imperialism, are saying, hey, slow down, pump the brakes, investigate a little more about Ukraine before you say good guy, bad guy. Back in a bit. You know, we, we, the American public historically have said, I want a politician to shoot me straight. But when one, when one does... We, we tend to not want someone to shoot us straight. I mean, when J.D. Vance says, um, I really don't care what happens to Ukraine one way or another, I got to be honest with you, spare me the performative affection for the Ukraine. I mean, that, that's as real as it gets. And he falls. Um, I think his support went from about 23% to four, uh, 11, 12%. Went down 11 percentage points, and it went down like a rock. Um, because everybody's painting their buildings blue and yellow and everybody's cheering for Ukraine and Zelensky is Churchill. I guess it, it, it proves the point we've made over the airways many, many, many times where none of us are Vulcans. I mean, we're not creatures of logic as much as we like to believe that we can separate, you know, and kind of silo those emotions from the rational decisions we're required to make in, in the way we live our daily lives. I'm not saying we are we fall victim to emotion at every single turn, but on something like this, what do we look for? I mean, what what is the what is the um what is the theme? I hate to say theme of a war, but what is a theme? It's good guy, bad guy, right? I mean, who pulls for the bad guy? Nah, a few outliers, but most of us pull for the other bad pull for guys. the good guys. Yeah, be other bad guys, but most of us pull for the good guy. We find the bad guy intriguing and interesting and provocative, but we never pull or cheer the bad guy but um but in this situation uh russia the big bully invades ukraine the small nation that came as a result of the failure of communism in 1991 with the dissolution of the soviet union and we've convinced ourselves that Zelensky's churchill and there's nothing wrong with the ukrainian government in fact it was embracing democracies we, we fall with these talking points and punchlines much too uh, much too easily someone said yesterday i can't remember who but said um, basically that CNN is fanning the flames of um, escalation. NBC is fanning the flames of escalation. Uh, and you wonder, you really begin to wonder, because I've always said follow the money. I mean, what does, what does CNN have to gain about American um, escalating involvement in Ukraine? Really? Really? Sure. You better believe it. I mean, you better believe it. Are we more inclined to tune into the news when there's a war going on around the world that may or may not involve uh, American forces? And American lives, of course we are. We're far more inclined. I mean, when a hurricane hits, what do we watch? I mean, don't we go on the weather channels, uh, weather underground, weather channel, whatever, weather.org? I mean, they're, you know, we don't go to those places. We'll check the weather for the weekend. You know, it's a bad day when Jim Cantori shows up in you your You better believe it. I mean, you're probably in, um, in harm's way when it comes to weather. But, but it's a good day for the weather channel. But, I mean, if CNN is fanning the flames of, uh, of escalation, 
then CNN believes there's a um, an increase in ratings coming down the, the pike here soon. And I, I guess the point I'm trying to make, and then we'll leave here and go somewhere else. Um, when the senior director of policy at the Conservative Partnership Institute says that the conflict of Ukraine is being filtered to the U.S. through a mass narrative control, um, and there is an element of narrative shaping that plays into the American moral fervor, and then Rand Paul says something similar about morality, and J.D. Vance says, um, spare me the performative uh, affection for the Ukrainians. Um, it, it, it sounds crass. I mean, it does. It sounds disrespectful. It sounds a little bit inhumane, to be honest with you, because we've seen the human atrocities. You watch a little bit of the coverage on television, and you see the buildings blown up, the innocent people being killed, and you know a lady and her baby in a suitcase trying to make their way across the border into Poland or somewhere. I mean, there, there's a there is an element of morality involved in that. But but what is the American government's role? What is our responsibility? I mean, would you rather pay forty bucks to fill up your tank of, for for gas and 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 hamburger be about what it used to be? Uh, or would you rather aid and assist and make sure that lady and her baby and her bag get across that, that border into Poland? I mean, the morality side of that says, oh, that's, that's, that's no question. I mean, give me the, you know, I'll just have to pay what I have to pay for gas, but I need that lady to make sure she makes it across that border. That's the way this debate has been couched. I mean, I don't buy that for a second. I think if you dig a little bit deeper, it's much more complicated than that. But when you really think about it, that's the way that the, the American media and the American government, by and large, have proposed or presented this to the American public. You not paying 60 bucks, 60 bucks to fill your truck up for gas is the least you need to pay to help that lady get across that border. Yeah, we've had disruption of oil supplies and we've had, you know, kind of a global market and upheaval and, and, and working people are paying a lot more to fill their car up with gas. But that's the least we can do as Americans, right? Because we're the moral police of the country, or excuse me, of the world. And if, you, uh, if you're selfish, if you're so selfish as to not worry about that lady, her baby, and her bag getting across the border into Poland because you got to pay 20 or 25 bucks more to fill your car up with gas, then you're not the American we desire you to be. And I just think that's an unfair couching of the argument. And I'm pretty excited that there are a few influential Republicans willing to say those controversial things. Now, they didn't say it in um, country boy fashion like I just did, but in essence, that's kind of the breakdown of this. You know, you see the optic of the lady, the baby, and the bag, and they look helpless. I mean, they look, they look destitute. I mean, they're trying to make their way out of a country, their, their homeland, that is being destroyed by a bully. I mean, I get all that. But then you go to the gas pump, and instead of filling your truck up for 40 bucks, it takes you 60 bucks. And that's 20 bucks out of your pocket, 20 bucks out of your wife's pocket. Next week, two of the same um, things will happen, another 20, another 20. Um, but, but once again, the, the, this, this morality narrative and this escal- excuse me, this, um, this media narrative kind of leads us to a place of, man, I don't know. I mean, it seems the least I could do is pay 60 bucks to make sure that lady gets across the border. And the point I'm trying to make, I mean, you can fall on either side of that equation. Let me say that again. You can fall on either side of that equation and be as moral as the next. Now, now the media says you can't. Washington says you can't. That, that if you fall on one side, you're selfish and self-serving and you're not truly an American. You don't understand the, the obligation response to which much is blessed, much is expected. I mean, there's even biblical overtones. I've, I've heard that said. I mean, I've heard it over the airways. I think someone was on Fox the other night. To which much is blessed, much is expected. 
I, I just I, I'm I'm proud to see someone like JD Vance. This makes me a bigger JD Vance fan. You know, uh, just just save me that. You know, let me decide based on serious analytics instead of this agenda or narrative that the media and the American political class are pushing. Let's go to the phone. Here's Breeze. Morning. You know, let's cut through all the BS here, too, again. I said, these same people that are running around changing their little Facebook thing to the Ukrainian flag, the same people that are daggone while lighting up buildings with the Ukrainian flag, the same people that wear the Ukrainian flag lapels, the same idiot college kid you see wearing a Ukrainian flag T-shirt, are the same people that idolize Che Guevara. These same people, you couldn't, you couldn't pour an American flag T-shirt on them. You couldn't pour an American flag behind them for their Facebook bag or whatever the hell they call that thing. So they don't have any this BS about patriotism and all this other crap. And here again, let's separate the daggone difference between the Ukrainian-Russian people and the Ukrainian government and the Ukraine and the Russian government. Okay, and let's also let's look at who was really sacrificing here in America. These idiots are not trained. They're worth multi-billions of dollars. They're all daggone all far. Oh, yeah, we have to sacrifice. Sacrifice my ass. You live in a $20 million home. The hell are you talking about? You live on the front row of the Isle of Palms. You drive a damn Tesla. Or you drive there. You got five Mercedes Benz under your damn garage. You don't give a crap if you pay $120 for gasoline. Hell, that's lunch for you. So, you know, the only people that are suffering the Ukrainian war is the middle class and the poor in America. And the daggone middle class and the poor in Russia and on um, the Ukraine. So again, the same that and they they play us like tuning forks. And all it is the same evil SOBs here in America and all around the world that are screwing us all over. And everything every part of this stuff is, is all part of their damn planet. I keep saying it so I'm blue in the face and I'll keep saying it. I said it's a bunch of crap. And we got to daggone realize what's happening to us. And it doesn't matter if you're Democrat or Republican. We're all eating the same crap sandwich. And we're all being played like a bunch of damn fools. I had a damn client the other day that's a um, Ph.D. cancer surgeon, oncologist, came down from Washington, D.C. There wasn't a soul in, the, in my trading room. It was an afternoon. I had both doors open. I walked out to my truck to grab something. I look around. I see some guy standing there with a damn mask on in my front room. And I look over there and I said, hey, is that you? Because I say, Joe, is that you, Joe? He goes, yeah. I said, well, take that stupid-ass mask off. You aren't in Washington, D.C. anymore. You've been made a fool of for three years. I think it's about time for you to quit. That's my professional training um, that, that don't technique there, kid. <laughs> you know, such said, such you know, etiquette, Breeze. I'm proud of your <laughs> etiquette. Yeah. Yeah, you know, that's my etiquette school. And, of course, he snatched it right off and everything. and had a big blush on his face. I said, how long are y'all going to play this stupid-ass game? <laughs> you know? Of course, the guy's paid me $70 an hour. I probably should have shut up, but I think I made my point to it. I'm sure you did. Thank you, Breeze. Appreciate that. And um, I, mean, I think it's interesting that people are willing to have this discussion. And, and I think it's more interesting that Rand Paul and J.D. Vance, I mean, one is already in Senate, the other is an aspiring senator, are, are willing to say, I'm, I'm just not falling for this argument. I mean, you know, the, the John F. Kennedy, um, 
the John F. Kennedy Center for Performing Arts has been lit up in yellow and blue. And I, I mean, we, we just, we're such suckers for symbolism. 843-661-0937. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. Michael in Florence is our next caller. Hey, Michael. Hey, good morning. Hey, Michael. Uh, well, first, first of all, the problem to me is our gas prices have nothing to do with Ukraine. They have everything to do with the, the moron that we have in the White House. Okay. Um, I, I do field service, so my gas bill runs about four to $500 a month or was running four to 500 a month. Right now, I mean, I'm paying almost $1,000 a month in gasoline. Mm. Okay. Now, if that helped that lady with that suitcase, you know what? I'd be okay with that. But it's not about that. It, you know, the, the gas prices have nothing to do with Ukraine. But if you take Ukraine down to a more personal level, um, you know, it's been said that, you know, it used to be two people got in a fight, somebody would step in and break it up. Now everybody whips out their phones and videos it. And, uh, I mean, Rand Paul himself was attacked in his home, you know, or not in his home, but in his own front yard. And I don't, you know, I'd like to think, I mean, for what I know of you guys, because you saw some big guy beating up some little guy, you'd probably intervene. Okay? Maybe I'm wrong. No, I mean, I'd like to think I would, of course. Okay, I, I think so, too, just from... You know, from what I know of you on the radio. Um, you know, but I can't make that decision for our soldiers. You know, I mean, I think we should try to help Ukraine, but, yeah, there's a limit. But right now, we can do what they're asking for. I mean, this whole thing with these MiGs, I don't even know why we're involved in it in the first place. Poland has the planes that are not that far from Ukraine. Just have them come get them. Thank you, sir. Appreciate that. that well, I mean, I, I just believe this. I think America has such a tendency to want to drive the train. I mean, I think we've been looked to for so long to drive the train, we don't know how not to drive the train. I think the Western world has historically, since the Second World War, um, looked to America. Hey, what are we to do now? Well, and I like think- you pointed out, we are already kind of involved. I mean, back in the 1990s, we talked Ukraine out, yeah. out of their nukes. I mean, we're the ones that made the deal with Ukraine. Get rid of the nukes, and here's what we'll do. And and we did a lot of what we said we would do. We just didn't do everything we said we would. Take a break. Back in a minute. 843-661-0937 is our number. Someone's on the phone. Let's go there. Steve in Florence, it's you, and you're on the air. Hey, morning, guys. All these people with the Ukraine flag on their Twitter and Facebook, these are the same people that won't give a dime to a homeless guy on the street. They don't care about our own country. We've got veterans on the street, veterans that can't find a job because their training doesn't go into the public workplace. Um, we got drugs going across the border. They don't care about that. Like, how about we care about our own country? Screw everybody else. I care about what's going on in my country, my state right now. That's all I got. Thank you, sir. Appreciate that, Steve. You know, J.D. Vance said yesterday, and I am I am a huge J.D. Vance fan. You guys know that. Um, and, and he's he's, he's taking a, a tough call. I mean, he's making a tough call. He's going to take a tough stand, and it's going to probably cost him a, a Senate seat. I'm not saying he would have won anyway, but I think it's less likely today since he's taken this stand. But he referred um, yesterday to a an Anthony Blinken phone call with the Ukrainian foreign minister in February. 
I think it was February 1st, 2021, when Blinken said to the Ukrainian foreign minister, Dmitryo Kuleba, that the United States believes in this strong bipartisan support for Ukraine and the priority the United States places on Ukraine's sovereignty, territorial integrity, and Euro-Atlantic aspirations. I mean, if you're a Russian, if you're, if you're, if you're a, uh, I mean, if you're, if you're Putin, I mean, is that not provocation? I mean, Blinken, our Secretary of State, is speaking with his, I guess, his counterpart, the Foreign Minister of, of Ukraine, and he says, here's the quote. I mean, the, the phone call's been made public record that um, the United States stands for the strong bipartisan support for Ukraine, the priority the United States places on Ukraine's sovereignty, okay, territorial integrity, okay, Euro-Atlantic aspirations. That's NATO. Oh, that's saying that the U.S. will uh, endorse you joining NATO. And now they're saying, no, we never said that. We never said any of this. Um, there's a phone call. Vance refers to that call yesterday. Vance is a serious man. That's what I like about him. Unserious people like serious people. So, you know, North and Pole, uh, what is it, the magnets, the North Pole and the South Pole, and, you know, they kind of attract one another, try to put that North and North together they want, South and South together they want. Um, yeah, unserious people admire very serious people. And I think Vance, I mean, when, when he refers to this call, what is Euro-Atlantic aspirations? I mean, I get territorial integrity. I get Ukraine sovereignty. Okay, I'm with you so far. But Euro-Atlantic as, uh, aspirations? Oh, we never said anything about NATO. Of course you did. Your Secretary of State did. Words matter. Back in a minute. Takes Mondays to make Fridays. 843-661-0937 is our number. Someone's on the phone. Let's go there. Bob in Florence. Good morning. Hey, good morning, guys. Ken, um, wife and I were were watching some movies the other night, and she suggested let's watch that old movie Wag the Dog with uh, Dustin Hoffman and uh, Woody Harrelson and and uh, Peter De Niro. And uh, have you ever seen that movie? I have. <laughs> we spent the whole movie looking at each other. About every every fifteen seconds, we turn and look at each other, and it. Uh, I, I'd highly recommend people look at that, that and review that old movie because it it it, it just uh, uh, gosh it, it, it's just so relative to what's going on. Uh, last night we were we had to run to Myrtle Beach on uh, to do some medical appointments, and on the way back we stopped um, uh, and had had dinner at a Mexican restaurant. The wa- waitress uh, handed us the menus and. Uh, we opened them up, and man, our eyes popped. It was like, uh, you know, eighteen dollars and fifty cents for a fajita, <laughs> and, mm. and and we'd eaten there a couple of years ago before COVID, you know, and the prices were around, you know, beach prices around twelve fifty or something. And we, I made a remark to the waitress about the prices. She said, "Yeah, we just got our new menus today, and uh, and uh, it reflects our price increases." And then she looked at me and said, "Thanks to Putin." <laughs> just wow, you know, yeah, yeah. Thanks to Putin. I said so. I looked at my wife and said, um, "Well, wag the dog." I said, "I guess it worked." Sure. We've got a we've got a president who's in trouble politically, uh, and uh, it just makes you really, really wonder with with the technology that's available today compared to the technology that was available back in the 1990s when that movie was made, 
think about, and, you know, you think about the, the girl with the baby in the suitcase. And in the and then wag the dog. It was the same thing. You had the the girl with the baby wrapped in the blanket crossing the bridge on the river under fire, and it was all made up. And um, you just have to wonder. Uh, you know, I don't think some of the the fighting's made up over there, but you have to wonder about the reporting and how it's being couched. And 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 if you take that as just the average Joe in, on the street that. You know, I guess it worked. It's Putin's fault. It, it doesn't have anything to do with Biden's political decisions. Uh, he's just uh, just a, uh, a a convenient political uh, a whipping boy. Thank you, Bob. Appreciate that. Well, I mean, the reality is, and uh, and I'm an American. I'm a proud American. I mean, I, I'm proud of what America has done around the world. But I think some things are are far more complicated, and, and it, none of this will change as long as we're lazy and unserious. I'm sorry. I mean, to wag the tail, or what What, what was it, what did he say? Well, yeah, wag the, no, the, it's the tail wagging the dog. It's a playoff of that, uh, wag the dog. Um, not, all of this is possible if we remain lazy and unserious. If you demand of your government competency and responsibility and making prudent decisions and, and not being misleading about the facts on the ground – They'll, they'll have to give in to that. I mean, if we, are, if we are not lazy, if we are competent and serious as an American public, I mean, I didn't say you got to wake up every day before we go to work, read the Wall, read the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, and the, and the Washington Post, but there has to be some level of seriousness that we display as Americans before we can request or, or, or demand responsible government. Government is going to be irresponsible as long as we're lazy and unserious because there's no price or consequence for them being irresponsible, I'll give you an example. Um, th- this is nonsense from Biden. The Biden um, that they've got, they've released kind of a, um, I don't know, Rev, it's a, a fact sheet, I guess, for lack of a better explanation, and it's called Putin's price hike. I mean, the, 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 the waitress of the hostess of the restaurant last night said, yeah, thanks to Putin. They probably heard that on CNN. They may have seen that on the local NBC, ABC, or CBS News, that Vladimir Putin is to blame for all this. And if we're lazy and unserious, we're going to believe those sorts of things. Now, um, they've also agreed to increase supply. Uh, A million barrels will be released from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. Um, Maybe as many as 180 million barrels, you know, 1 million a day for the next 180 days. Um, but, But the administration is trying to accomplish a feat. That is probably be going, going to be easier than they expect because we are a very unserious people. We're not a competent public any longer. Um, those who listen to this show and, and we have these conversations, whether we agree or disagree, you've already demonstrated that you're one of the one percenters. I mean, I don't know how many of you are one percent income earners, but you're one percenters when it comes to trying to understand the complexities of American politics and where the truths lie. I didn't say that I'm the sole arbiter of truth. I'm not insinuating that by any stretch of the imagination, but I try to conduct or facilitate a genuine, authentic conversation about whatever it is kicking out there that we believe we need to better understand. And I think you can't understand Ukraine and Russia unless you accept that America's been very involved in what's happened to Ukraine since the uh, not just the dissolution of the Cold War, but when we start talking about some of these um, European aspirations, 
I mean, that that's NATO. That's dog whistle Euro Atlantic aspirations. I mean, that that's NATO. So to suggest that uh, you know Putin doesn't have any right to be threatened. Now I'm not I'm not do, condoning for any stretch by any stretch him invading a sovereign nation. I mean, I think diplomacy would have been much better. But but to suggest that you know we are an innocent uh, standby uh, or, or stander by, and and you know our moral obligation is go aid and assist Ukraine. We probably have more of an uh, uh, political obligation than a moral obligation because we've probably been partially responsible for leading Ukraine down this road. I mean, if the Ukraine foreign minister hears from the U.S. Um, Secretary of State that we you will always have strong bipartisan support. Um, for Ukraine, the priority of the United States places on Ukraine's sovereignty, territorial integrity, Euro-Atlantic aspirations. I mean, how can you not interpret that as the U.S. having your back? And if you're Russia, how can you how can you not interpret that as um as a kind of a Western creep toward uh, a more NATO alignment? I mean, I've still not heard anybody in the U.S. say that Ukraine will not be a member of NATO. I mean, did, did the U.S. pick this fight? Well, let's throw that out there for argument's sake. You, you know, the truth is, if you ask that question amongst the American public, less than 1% would have an, uh, uh, an understanding that is worthy of consideration. And that goes back to us being a very unserious, uh, I don't want to say incompetent, but a very unserious and lazy public when it comes to complaining about government and understanding government. Uh, someone said earlier, the Facebook page profile that has all these Ukrainian flags I'd love to ask those who have changed, updated their, what is it called? Um, they've updated their profile. profile. Yeah. Uh, I've seen this over and over again. Those of you who have updated your profile to now include either the verbiage, I stand with Ukraine or the Ukrainian flag. How many of you understand any at all the circumstances or situations in Ukraine? You know what you've probably seen? You've probably seen that Ukrainian mom, that Ukrainian child, and that bag with nearly everything they own trying to make their way into a neighboring country, let's say Poland. That's what you've seen. And now all of a sudden, you stand with Ukraine. You don't have a damn clue what you stand for. You have no understanding at all of what you believe in. And that's because we become so unbelievably lazy and unserious about issues that really matter and affect our lives. Um, and we got to do better than that. And we've got to demand of ourselves better than that. The, the lady who gives the menu and says, yeah, it used to be 1250. Now it's 1850. Thanks to Vladimir Putin. That, that's a very unserious opinion to hold. And, um, and until we agree mutually and collectively that we're going to do a better job of understanding how our nation is governed, is it, is it, you know, and, and what we believe in and why we believe in these things, we'll continue to kind of drift down this uh, road to nowhere. Let's go to the phone. Larry in the PD. Hi, Larry. Hey, good morning. You know, I was, the guy earlier called in and used the analogy about, you know, if you saw a bully beating somebody up. Well, see, it, it, that's the problem with being a witness to something. If five people are watching it and you, you walk up and say, hey, how come nobody's doing anything? That guy's wearing that guy out. And they, well, the guy that you think's a bully, he, he, well, he's a drug dealer. Oh, well, man, somebody should stop that joint. Yeah, well, the other guy's a pimp. Oh, well, and the pimp stole some drugs from the drug dealer. Now it ain't so easy as to who you want to go in and, and help, is it? <laughs> 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 so, you know, you, you, 
we, we, we don't know, and Americans think that they're informed. They tell people, I've done the research by what? By staring at a television set and just imbibing what you've been, you know, fed. Uh, you know, we can't live like this. But, you know, Americans want to be virtuous. We talk about virtue signaling. And, you know, it used to be that these people with phony virtues used to go to church. And the way that they showed their phony virtue was they, they donated money to good causes. Well, we've eliminated church, we've eliminated God, so these people who need to show their virtue have to find some other way. And, you know, we've been taught, you know, when I was a kid, they would they would put an image of a starving child on the television and say, you know, no child deserves to starve, and we all agree with that. But they didn't tell you that their government was corrupt and that every time we sent money over there to save those children, the government spent it on bullets to stay in power. And, you know, we just don't know so much about what goes on in the world. But I understand the emotional pull to try to, you know, help somebody who's, you know, we're watching the fight and they're losing. But did they start the fight? Did they have a role in the fight? What will they do if they win the fight? These are all questions that we don't have answers to, but we are so biased towards action. We are a do-something country. And you've got all these people out here with their phony virtue. But where J.D. Vance screwed up is you got to say that stuff after you get it off, mm -hmm. not before. Bingo. Uh, Larry, know, Larry, 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 let me ask you a question. What obligation do we have to be critical of our country? I didn't say what right. What, what, to, what obligation do we have to be critical of our nation? I think to some extent you do. You have to instruct and you have to inform, but you don't chastise and you don't browbeat and you don't insult. People will change if you put them on a road to change. But I always say it's not when the two wheels go off the road that you wreck your car. It's when you jerk the steering wheel back to try to get it back where it belongs. And what J.D. tried to do is jerk the wheel. And you can't jerk the wheel. You have to gently guide that car back onto the highway. You can't just say, hey, dummy. Uh, yeah, you get their attention for a moment, but you generally end up offending them. And then they can't hear what you've got to say. So not only do you have to have the right message, but, I mean, it has to be palatable. You have to be able to swallow the message that people are, are serving you. If you give them too big a spoonful of it, they choke on it. And, you know, just to have the truth ain't enough. The truth is a deadly and dangerous thing, and you can't just run around telling it all the time. <laughs> you got to be careful how you handle the truth. Especially in American politics. Sure. That's right, and you got to yeah. make sure that you have permission to tell it. Thank you, Larry. Well said. Appreciate your call. Um and I want to go back to that question. I mean, that's, that's kind of a fundamental question. Obviously, we have a right to be critical of our nation. What obligation do we have to be critical of our nation? And I'll let you in on something. I mean, when, when I start down this road, I mean, Rev's seen me do this before. I mean, I always end up, I mean, I'll tell you where I ended up last night. I mean, I watched the, um, the virtual uh, meeting and Molly Hemingway's there and Rand Paul's there and J.D. Vance is there. Now, now I'm kind of a kindred spirit with those guys. I'm a non-interventionist. I'm sorry, I just don't trust our political and military leadership. I mean, are they corrupt? I, maybe, maybe not. I think they're disingenuous. I think they're motivated by things they don't tell you they're motivated by. But one story leads to another. And I don't take the New York Times at their word, nor do I take the Wall Street Journal at their word. That's an interpretation or a set of interpretations. The New York Times has a set of interpretations on what they believe reality to be. The Washington Post has a similar interpretation, but it's a little bit different. 
I mean, there are a little more nuances and, and specifics that are um, different than the New York Times. And then you go to the Wall Street Journal. And then you go to NBC News and ABC News. And you, you, if you do this 10 years or 11 years, as well, 10 years as I have, you begin to sift through some of that. The BS meter kind of comes into play. So you begin kind of fact-checking. And you hear you, you, uh, the New York Times article includes a story from something that they say happened. And then, then the Fox News article says something. So I end up last night with a, um, a Cato Institute report from, uh, let me get the date, March 9, 2021. And the title is, Since When Did Ukraine Become an Important U.S. Ally? The United States is Flirting with Crossing a Bright Red Line that Risks Confrontation with a Nuclear Armed Power. That's the Cato Institute from a year ago. Let me read that again. The U.S. is flirting with crossing a bright red line that risks confrontation with a nuclear-armed uh, power. Where are we now? I mean, where are we now? But, but the world is flabbergasted. I mean, we can't believe that everybody doesn't rally around Ukraine and everybody doesn't send whatever they need to send, whether it's 21-year-olds or not. I mean, we have an obligation to help that lady get to Poland. We have an obligation to stop these buildings from getting blown up. That's the morality. That's the emotions of it. And I think there's a reason to step back and say, whoa, how did we get here? I mean, maybe Putin's a madman, maybe he's not. I don't think anybody believes Putin's stupid. I mean, I think there's a fair debate about is he psychopathic? Is he, is he a little bit of a madman? I mean, yeah, I mean, I think there are a lot of questions about his mental health and stability. But nobody, I don't think, believes he's stupid. I mean, the guy survived a long, long, long time. Um, I think he survived because he's savvy. I think he's smart. Uh, I think he's probably held piano wire in his hands a time or two in his life to prove a certain point, uh, to gain certain degrees of loyalty. I don't know that. I'm speculating that, that he has. But, but when, you, when, you, when you wake up one morning and you decide to change your Facebook profile to Ukraine, I just think we have an obligation to understand that. And I think it's healthy to be critical of our nation. And J.D. Vance, to Larry's point, is probably not as seasoned politically as some of these guys. Rand Paul didn't say it. <laughs> you know, Rand Paul's in, uh, in the Senate. Rand Paul didn't say it. Rand Paul probably said, J.D. probably wouldn't have said that. Uh, we want you to win. I mean, that's us, us kind of non-interventionists. I mean, Rand Paul kind of drifts off in isolation at times. But I think, you know, Rand Paul probably told J.D. Vance after, hey, you might better clean that up, man. I don't know if I would have said it um, that exact way, but it's the truth. I mean, it's authentic. It, it's real. It's something he believes in. But we, the public, I would argue, can't handle the truth. Here I am with um, a few good men. We go. just can't handle the truth. If someone says something like that, then obviously he's not standing with Ukraine. And damn it, I'm standing with Ukraine because I changed my Facebook profile. I mean, I've got the Ukrainian flag in my yard. And, and, and J.D. Vance is, I mean, that, that's beneath the, um, the morality of America to go down that road. Well, I mean, end up reading a Cato Institute article from a year ago. Where do you think we are in relation to the bright red line that that article refers to? Oh, I think we're, I think we're unbelievably close. I think the military-industrial complex loves for us to be flirting with that red line over and over. Rev, what we've got to understand is there's an element within our federal government that, that sincerely profits at, a, at an amazing rate and gains a lot of influence over American politics when we're here, when we have some sort of conflict with a foreign power or foreign adversary. I mean, th th there are people motivated by that. That's hard for you to believe. That's hard for me to get my arms around. You mean to tell me there are people in our government or very close to our government who like us being at the precipice of war? The answer is yes. Yes. There are people who believe that 
but it's in their best interest. But they lobby for, in, for, for military contractors. They, they lobby for um, think tanks that, that, that believe in these globalisms, or excuse me, the, the globalist policies and the, the advancement of the Western world. Of course, there are people in our government. I mean, we, we have this, um, I don't know, this naivete about us in relation to some of those. George W. Bush lobbied for Ukraine and Georgia to be invited into NATO in 2008. And, and Russia made stern objections um, I think France and Germany, if I'm not mistaken. I read it last night. France and Germany balked at that idea. But but this was the Bush doctrine. I mean, the Bush doctrine was an American imperialist doctrine. I love George W. Bush. I think he's a fine man. I think his, his born-again Christianity almost led him down the road of believing it was his job to liberate men wherever they were living in bondage. But I think he was a man motivated by being a born-again Christian. Probably more so than any. I mean, Jimmy Carter was a, was a, a you know a professing Christian, and he talked a lot about his faith. But I think George W. Bush was kind of a hellion and and a problem kid from a wealthy family. He finds God, he finds religion, uh, he calls Jesus his savior, and out of that came this ambition, the, the, this this emotional energy that said, "I'm not going to stand idly by and watch people live in bondage," because the gospel says I have an obligation, and I don't disagree with a lot of that. But I don't think you use your government or your political position or authority or power to execute policies in the name of faith. I, I, you got to be real careful with that. So when Bush basically says, um, and I mean, he strongly lobbied to have Ukraine and Georgia invited into NATO. Um, France and Germany said, whoa, 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 pump the brakes on that a bit. Pump the brakes here. Um and the reason, you know what Germany and France were worried about? It was not Putin or Russia. You know what they were worried about? The corruption in Kiev. I mean, they, 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 were, I mean they, they were deeply concerned about some of these um, authoritarian tendencies. We've seen those reveal uh, or, or kind of uh, rear their heads in recent time. When we heard about castrating some of the Russian soldiers, uh, it, it's just it's a very complex situation and argument. And unless you're willing to read and try and understand. I mean, I, I get the emotional attachment. I mean, I get the, the, the media narrative. I understand if you're busy watching Seinfeld and living your lives and complaining about the price of gas, you don't have time to check in, you know, to what's going on in Ukraine and understand the complexities of, of that foreign affair. But just don't, don't say I stand with Ukraine. If you say I stand with Ukraine, have a little better than an elementary understanding of why you stand with Ukraine. Take a break. Back in a minute. 843-661-0937. There's a book. I mean, most of you out there won't take my advice on this, and I'm not saying you got to know everything there is to know about Ukraine and Russia uh, and the United States and the Western world, but there's a, there's an interesting book called um, NATO, the dinosaur, excuse me, the dangerous dinosaur. And it's a guy that writes for the Cato Institute. He wrote a book called um, NATO, The Dangerous Dinosaur. He talks about how NATO is antiquated. Not only is it antiquated, it's become very threatening to, to some of the countries who don't ascribe to Western values and Western culture. Um, and I, I think this morning uh, we've demonstrated well, with, with some degree of success that it's okay to be critical of America. I mean, I think, we have, I think we're a better nation if some of us are willing to be critical. Now, now J.D. Vance needs to be careful. As a guy running for the U.S. Senate, um, because what what people don't want to do is vote for a guy who seems to be demonstrating some level of un, uh, just un- unpatriotism. I mean, he, that, that guy's not a patriot. 
You know, I mean, if he doesn't stick with the U.S., I mean, through thick or thin, you know, blood is thicker than water. And uh, it's a little bit like brotherly love. You know what I mean? We're all Americans here. And when we goof up, we can't say we goof up. Um, go back and try to understand, uh, I think they call it the revolution of dignity. In other words, when Ukraine gained its sovereignty, in 2014, they had an election. You know what they did? They elected a pro-Russian government. And then they had this revolution of dignity where they basically overthrew the, um, the duly elected government in this revolution that was sponsored by, can you, can you imagine the United States having anything to do with that? So the U.S. in essence kind of sort of funded and helped facilitate this revolution of dignity that led to an overthrow of a duly elected government. You argue, I mean, the Western world will argue, yeah, but Putin fixed that election in Ukraine just like he fixed the one in, uh, in Russia. Maybe he did, maybe he didn't. But what business of it is, a, is it of yours to go in and, and, and basically inspire a revolution on the word dignity? See, the Westerners are good at this, the morality and the ethics and the dignity of all of this. So we had all these large-scale protests. Um, uh, th- this guy gets elected president. That's not who they believe they wanted to be. Well, I know that's not who the Western world wanted elected to president because, once again, he had this um, this affinity to Russia. He was kind of a pro-Russian president, and, um, and the U.S. said, no, we can't have that. That would have been the Obama administration. This is kind of bipartisan. I mean, American imperialism has become a very bipartisan sensation within um the ranks of the American government. And I just think, you know, I mean, we've had an hour and a half conversation about something that is really and truly hard to have an hour and a half conversation. You know why? It's not because you guys aren't smart enough. Of course you are. You're plenty bright enough. But you've got to go read some of this stuff and better understand some of the history. How many of you have ever heard of the Revolution of Dignity? I mean, very few people have heard of that. And I don't know that's the, 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 the accurate name. I mean, that's what it's referred to. Um, but when you start down this road of trying to better understand, you know, what's happening in Ukraine, and you see the Facebook changes of profile, I stand with Ukraine. How many of you that stand with Ukraine stand with Ukraine because of the revolution of dignity, or you saw CNN show that lady trying to make it across the border and that building smoldering in the background. You know, it's just emotional. Sure, it, of course it is. But, Rev, you can't govern on emotions. How, how many of us live our lives on emotion? Every time I've made a decision based solely on emotions, it's been a bad decision. Now, now I can't take my emotions and take them completely out of the equation, but I've got to take that logic and let that logic battle that emotion, and out of that comes a much better decision than if I let emotions kind of crowd logic out of. Uh, the, the, and I, I do that. I mean, we all do that from time to time. None of us are Vulcans. I mean, we're not Mr. Spock. We're, we're, we're emotional creatures. The media knows we're emotional creatures. Uh, the, the political orbit knows we're emotional creatures. And if they want us to support further uh, involvement in Ukraine, you know what they'll do? They'll probably convince us. They'll give more visuals of smoldering buildings and, and Vladimir Putin wearing a $20,000 down jacket, you know, speaking to people who were probably forced to go there. J.D. Vance is arguing, um, is that our business? We know that we have a treaty that if, that if Russia invades a, a NATO member nation, we have a, I guess, a legal, I don't know if it's a legal responsibility, we have a a political binding responsibility to defend that NATO member. Trump not real crazy about any of these transnational you know, organizations. J.D. Vance and Rand Paul are obviously not real fond of any of these trade. I mean, what does the, uh, what does the name the dangerous dinosaur lead you to believe? 
Not only is NATO dangerous, it's also a dinosaur. It's antiquated. It needs to be revisited and revamped and, and retuned. Government doesn't do much of that. But yeah, go back and read a little on the revolution of dignity or buy the book NATO, A Dangerous Dinosaur. Read it. And then let's, let's, let's kind of talk again in a little more informed capacity. I'm not insulting anybody. I'm certainly not trying to insult anybody. And I know there's a lot of you out there that have opinions, but you're nervous about expressing them publicly because you don't understand all the complications. And the point I want to make, and then we'll move on, the point I'm trying to make is when you put on your Facebook profile that you stand with Ukraine, what percentage of you understand who you're standing with or why you're standing there? And I think J.D. Vance and Rand Paul and Bali Hemingway and the American Conservative and some of these um, some of these non-interventionist voices within uh, really the Republican Party, I don't hear much of this from the Democrats because the Democrats have really bought into this um, global climate change and kind of John Lennon's imagine, imagine there's no heaven and no hell and no countries and no, no sovereignty. And everybody wakes up every day with visions of sugar plums dancing in their heads. I mean, they've kind of bought into this. It's a feel good. It's touchy and feely. So the, the Democrats have kind of put their, their kind of anti-war protest aside because a lot of the anti-war protesting is based on what today? Nationalism and sovereignty of nation, and America first, and save America, and make America great again. I mean, it's kind of an interesting evolution Hmm. that has happened in American politics that now most of the doves, and I don't want to call them doves because I don't think they're weak-minded or weak-kneed. I just think they believe that we've overstepped our bounds and tried to export democracy. And and let's let's do some things around home um, before we worry about the affairs of other countries and the goings-on of other countries. I'm not I'm not to the point that I believe we can turn our back to the world. I mean, I don't think we can build a, a wall around our nation. Rand Paul at times says those things. I think those are more isolationist than they are not interventionist. But I do believe that we need to revisit some of our foreign policy doctrine and prioritize the interests of the American people. And, and when Russia when when we when Russia invades Ukraine and Ukraine digs in, that's a natural escalation. When Ukraine asks for help from NATO nations and we respond, that's another escalation. When Russia says, um, you know, we're not going to take payment for oil other than rubles, and I think that's today, they're not going to accept any payment for oil other than rubles. Well, if they stick to their guns, that there's another, well, 11% of the oil in the world goes off off the market. I think channels could probably deal as Russia wants to deal. But let's say, um, let's say instead of um, embargoing, I think... Um, I mean, Germany can't embargo Russian oil. I mean, they, they basically sold their soul to green energy. I mean, Ger- the European Union basically is a little worse than the United States of America in that they bought into this green energy and they've stopped permitting nuclear plants and, you know, that they don't try to. I mean, they're, they're, there's not an abundance of oil in, in Europe anyway. I mean, it's just kind of a, um, it's not the, it's, I mean, we have an, an abundance of natural resources. Russia does, Ukraine does. Um, so, some of the European Union nations, not so much, but they made a deal. But I mean, they basically said, we're going to depend on Russia to provide us with the majority of our energy. 40% of all the gas that the European Union burns comes from Russia. So they can't do what we've done. We, we've got the luxury of finding oil in other places. If we had a Republican president, we'd really have the luxury of finding oil in uh, other places. That would be beneath the ground of the good old U.S. of A. And we would be extracting that valuable commodity, um, refining it into gasoline, and we wouldn't be as bothered as we have with a Democrat president who believes in this green energy. And um, and instead of trying to pursue another million barrels of oil a day, 
uh, via drilling and, uh, you know, kind of um, extracting from our from our abundance of natural resources. They want to release it from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, which will eventually have to be replaced at a much higher price, I would imagine. Um, and th- th- there, there's a, you know, kind of one point leads to another point leads to to another point. But uh, the point I'm trying to make, and then we'll, we'll kind of move on because I got some other stuff here I think you'll, you folks will find interesting. Um, if you stand with Ukraine, know why you're standing with Ukraine. If you think Putin's a thug and a murderer and a dictator, know, know why that. And, and I'm not saying end up reading about the revolution of dignity. I don't think that's required. But have some curiosity. Be curious about the world around you. The one complaint that I'll have of Donald Trump, and I've said it over the air and I'll say it again, I think Trump lacked the intellectual curiosity it thinks to be the best president he could have been. I think his greatest skill was being willing to make a call. Let's make a decision. Bill Barr says in his book over and over again, he has great concern. He was as concerned about Trump after the election as he ever has been with any American president he's worked with or for. I mean, he says, I was deeply concerned because he went to the White House or the Oval Office one day and Trump said, Bill, I don't think you need to resign because they're going to keep me here. You know, I'm paraphrasing here, but in other words, they're going to overturn the outcome of the election. They're going to declare me the winner, and, I, and I'll and i be here another four years, and you're going to regret giving your letter of resignation. And, and, and Barr said that, I mean, that really freaked him out to suggest that that was what he thought was going to happen. Whether he did or not, he said it. But, but the one thing Bill Barr gives Donald Trump a lot of credit for, a lot of credit for, if the guy said something, he was going to do it. I mean, if he said we're going to move the embassy to Jerusalem, we're going to do it. If he said we're going to fast-track permitting for pursuit of natural gas or oil or fry, he did it. If he said we're going to secure the border, he did it. And he did things that most American presidents never imagined doing. In other words, when Trump said we're going to move the embassy to Jerusalem, a lot of people in the White House were skirting around, Mr. Trump, President Trump, we've said that. We never meant that. I mean, we just say that. We're going to secure the southern border. President Trump, we've talked about building a wall for, for 30 years, but nobody really means that. I mean, we just say that to get elected. We say that so people will kind of trust us to do right by the American people. So Barr says, as critical as he was of Trump post-election, he's never seen nor served with an American president who said, I'm going to do something and, and was a man of his word. And I that, that's to be admired. And I think mm-hmm. that's ushered in. May, maybe How that's refreshing. The, well, I mean, maybe that's the reason J.D. did what he did. I mean, may, maybe Vance says, look, it worked for Trump. You know, what he believed, he said, and we dealt with it accordingly. Maybe J.D. Vance believes. I just don't know that J.D. can get away with that. He's a little more, um, he's perceived to be a little more polished and diplomatic than uh, the proverbial bull in the China shop. Take a break. Back in just a minute. So not only is the solidarity between Ukraine and America been expressed on the planet, we've got somebody outer space. Have you read this story, Rev? No. Um, yeah, a guy named um, Jim Kitchen. He is a professor. He is one of the passengers, one of the paying passengers. Must do pretty well as a professor to be able to travel out of space. I think he's an entrepreneur as well. Oh. But uh, but anyway, he uh, he w- with his passport, he also carried a uh, Ukrainian and American flag. He released them in outer space some way, somehow. And he says, just paying my respects to the situation that's occurring there now and just to let them know that our hearts collectively are with them. So not only... Or people inhabiting the planet Earth supporting hmm. Ukraine, changing the Facebook profile. That means so much. Um, now we have someone in outer space flying on the flying genitalia that says, um, <laughs> really? Well, I mean, 
the Blue Origin, right? That's right. I, know, I mean, I know what you're okay. saying. I mean, and, and it if resembles? You, if you ever watched it. I mean, it resembles. You know what? Okay. I, I refer to it as the flying genitalia. Um, so, so, so Jim Kitchen is a passenger on the flying genitalia and, um, and decided that he would express his solidarity for Ukraine and America by releasing the flag. So anytime a professor releases a couple of flags in space on a flying genitalia, that's a newsworthy story. So there you go. Um, let's go to the vault. You don't think they noticed that before they designed and built it? I, I guess. Or, or maybe. Propulsion and... You know, lift off and all the all these other terms. Anyway, anyway. let's 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 uh before we get in trouble, right? Let's uh, let's leave there. Mike in Darlington. Hey, Mike. Hey, uh, that's somewhat amusing. But, uh, <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> somewhat, I, I somewhat. somewhat, yeah. somewhat amusing. But uh, the uh, the whole thing about uh, Trump, I think you can sum it up in one word: the man. The man had and has integrity. He's going to try his dead-level best to do what he says he's going to do if he says he's going to do it. And uh, unlike our president, who you can just about guarantee if he says he's going to do it, he's not going to do it. If shovel-ready jobs, they don't even have a shovel. They don't even they don't even have a job. All the money just went to the banks. They, they didn't care about anybody that was going to use a shovel. And they, they didn't care about anybody who was going to use a road grader or, any, uh, or that sort of thing, any sort of uh, practical usage. But you were talking about this uh, Ukraine and everything. Ukraine's pretty rich in uh, natural resources, and its people are, are – got. they have to be some of the toughest people in the world because they've gone through all kinds of stuff uh, – for centuries, and especially in in the last century, between uh, Hitler and uh, Stalin, they they actually tried to Stalin tried to starve them to death. He uh, he he just uh, really uh, had a lot of problems with them. A lot of people have had problems with them. And they're probably best to be left left alone. But somebody as ambitious as Putin, he can go out there and he's going to sacrifice, uh, destroy his army pretty pretty much and end up a vassal state to uh china and i don't know what we're going to do in between because you we i don't know i believe corn pop chased him into the pool or something and he never was right again because the the man's just just not right he never was smart and uh he he will put us in a dangerous situation without even knowing it, and I I think his uh, Blinken and uh, Kirby, the, those guys. I wonder how in the world they they got to uh, their levels of expertise. But uh, I heard an Air Force general he was talking about stuff like he knew what he was talking about. Uh, Putin is a dangerous person, but he understands. He understands that. Uh, if he gets in, in he's not going to step out in front of a truck on purpose. I just don't think he's going to do that. But um, you you know better than uh, probably most people can what what type of person he was. He's I've never met him, so I can't really say what type he is. But just from what he's done. Yeah, he's a complex leader, no question about it. I think we've accused him of being a madman and psychopathic and uh, a megalomaniac. I mean, I think all of those things are true. But he's not stupid. 
I mean, he's a survivor. He's a former KGB agent. You know, a lot, a lot of the world wants to know some of the things I read, and has some degree of trustworthiness, that they, they, they wonder how many more Putins there are. Is there another former KGB agent waiting in the wing if, if Putin were to be killed? Remember Sean Hannity. And Jeff, our good caller, said, you know, we should kill him, uh, assassinating a world leader of a country that we don't have uh, any relationship with. I don't know if that's our role, uh, really. I mean, I, I've, heard, I've heard a lot of sane people say the best thing to do is kill Vladimir Putin. Is there another Russian strongman waiting in the wing with the deals amongst oligarchs? I don't know the answer to that, but let's explore. Let's be interested. Let's try to find out some of the answers to these questions of which we don't know. Back in a minute. So is that a hit, Rev? It was. Okay. Because I, I saw you kind of nod your head a bit, yeah. like you kind of like the beat of that song. Well, that's another we're all embarrassed about. <laughs> Why? Why would you be embarrassed? People song? played it on the radio, and well, Springsteen fans don't like the when stuff he, when being he sells played out, the, right? When he, when he sells out, tries to make that a was buck. a hit. Hey, somebody said a second ago talking about the number of Russians who have died. Um, there's some reports that say seven thousand. There are others I've read that say fifteen thousand. You don't know what to believe. I mean, I certainly don't know what to believe, but somewhere between seven and fifteen thousand Russian soldiers have been killed um in this uh war against Ukraine. Um and, and I and I read or heard somebody yesterday say, Well, I'll tell you this. I mean those Russians, I mean, when they, you know, uh ship those dead bodies back or whatever, I think people need to understand that Russians know death in war like no other nation on this planet. When you really think about it, I went back last night and read and found some numbers. The total dead for the First World War was somewhere between 15 and 20 million. That's a staggering number of people. Um, America lost about 117,000. Russia lost 3 million. So 3 million of the 15 to 20 million in the First World War go to the Second World War. Um, Estimates are 75 to 85 million people were killed in the Second World War, um, the United States and the United Kingdom lost about 400,000. So just hold on to that for a second. Second World War, right? Reshape the world of which we live in. We still live in a post-Second World War world. Um, look at the maps of Europe. To the victor go the spoils. I mean, I told you, Rev, I read a story one day. Maybe true, maybe not. Uh, but I wouldn't be surprised. A guy's lived in his same house for like 94 years, and he's lived in four separate countries. But the, the, the maps of Europe are always or have always historically changed. But the United States and, and Britain or the United Kingdom lost about 400,000 people. Russia, Russia alone lost 27 million people. I mean, that's a staggering. So to believe that the Russians uh, will bail because they're having a high number of casualties, uh, that there, there may be a Starbucks and a McDonald's in Russia, but, but they're pretty... Uh, they know death like no other nation on this planet when it comes to uh, to war casualties, and I just don't believe seven to fifteen thousand deaths or fatalities or or casualties is going to really convince Vladimir Putin and the Russians. Hey, this isn't worth it. I mean, there's still some some stern believers in the former um, Soviet Union. Hey, Representative Philip Lowe comes in here with us on uh, in the eight o'clock hour, and um and I've invited these guys. I've invited the ones in Sumter and Orangeburg, we probably need to do a little better job of engaging those guys in Orangeburg. But I want to kind of take Fridays, maybe not every Friday, but obviously these guys have lives to lead and, and other things to do. But when they're available, I want them to get them to come in and um, and in the first person talk about what's happened uh, in Columbia legislatively. And Representative Lowe is kind of a guy who likes telling you what he believes. Um, and uh, first of all, you're running for re-election, if I'm not mistaken. I am. You did file. 
I file. Do you have an opponent? Filing's over. Okay. I'm clean. Uh, say, say unopposed. <laughs> that that's that's the um to me that's the best compliment uh, of of a politician is to not have anybody seeking his job. Must mean you're doing a pretty good job, and we all like a free pass. I would say that everybody else has a lot better sense and better things to do than what I'm doing. <laughs> there you go. People are wising up and yeah. saying, yeah, thank you, but no, thank you. I'll let Philip take care of that. lower than a lawyer until you get to a politician, <laughs> right? And th- there's close. That, that, yeah. That's real, real, real close. But um, we had an election Tuesday, and our Republican friend Mike Rickenbaugh won an overwhelming um, con- uh, fashion. So that means that of the Florence delegation, and I'm talking about you, Jay Jordan, and, and Mike Rickenbaugh. We have um, kind of a settled team going to Columbia to represent our behalf. I want to ask you this, and, and I want to, I mean, I know you want to congratulate Mike, but I want to ask you this. The three of you work together, but you're not one of the same person. I would imagine there are some disagreements within the delegation. Do you guys meet periodically? How do you address, um, I, I guess, the local delegation per se? I'm glad you brought that up because – because what we have coming up Monday is the first time ever we're going to have the delegation meeting in Florence. It always has been in Columbia. And I've always kind of shrugged my head like, you know, we're not including our citizens when we do this. So I became the delegation chairman this time. And I guess I have it till November. And uh, and I got started this year <clears throat> We've got an office downtown, is right near the uh, the intersection of of Dargan and Evans. There, it's the university place there, and there's third floor space. The uh, the the folks with Francis Marion with the foundation had this extra space that wasn't being used, so they basically dedicated it to us, and we've hired somebody that will help us become a lot better at constituent services now. And so all of us, there's nine people total with the senators and the representatives added together that make up the Florence delegation. And those folks, well, we will now have local people helping us. And that means we're helping our constituents better. So I'll say this, we're all singing off that same page. We're going to have at least one very open forum here every year. We want to have some time to listen to people, and we'll have one that's probably in Columbia that'll be a little more business-oriented where we appoint a lot of people. Now, this Monday at 4 o'clock, uh, 142 North Dargan Street, we're going to have our first delegation meeting. The public is invited, uh, and, and we want to hear from you. Uh, we've got some appointments to make. If you're interested in an appointment, you can always contact me. I've never been shy about giving out my cell phone number. It's 621-9999. I've never had a person abuse that in the whole 16 years. What sort of appointments, Philip? I mean, what what sort of um, engagement? I mean, if somebody wants to take the next step and be more involved, what sort of appointments are you talking about? Um, we've got things from social services to um, all the way to, to Forest Arlington Tech, um, uh, things that have to do with uh, child issues, with K twelve type issues. Uh, it's it's a variety of things that that come out. Um, the election commission is an important one. Um, there's probably eight or ten. The, the county 
commission that that goes with our uh, they call it CTC funds, mm-hmm. county transportation type funds. Uh, it, it's just there's several of them. Now, I'm not going to tell you you necessarily run that organization every time. You basically most times are providing input into it. But if you have a if you have a question, if you have something, you can look me up on Facebook and and send me something through that way if you've got an interest. Uh, and the, the, the legislative, the delegation meeting you're talking about Monday, this is bipartisan, right? I mean, this is the Republicans and the Democrats getting together. When you go to Columbia Caucus, I mean, we understand that. You've got Republicans and Democrats. They've got priorities. You've got priorities. But the Republicans and the Democrats c- kind of uh, make up this legislative delegation to really and truly govern from Columbia this, this local area you're responsible for. That's pretty much it. We've... With nine of us, there's only three Republicans. There are six Democrats on this committee. Um, you know, in a different way, we have a weighted vote system where Republicans have a little bit more weighted vote for the appointments. Um, but it, that's not, not what it's about. It's about working together to, to make this area better. So we divide up appointments. You can certainly, uh, if there are some Democrats listening to today, you can also call your Democrat guy. But if you want to call me, that's perfectly fine. We don't draw the line on parties in this kind of a meeting. Everybody gets some appointments onto most of these boards. Um, and most of the time we leave people who are serving, if they're showing up, doing a good sure, good job, sure. we leave them on. So there's one or two appointments on some things and three or four for others. Let, let's jump to something that I know you have an interest in. You and I have had conversation about this, and I think you're comfortable talking publicly about it. Um We've done real well countywide. Republicans, you and I are Republicans. We've done real well countywide. We've struggled with city elections. City elections are important. It's almost, I mean, I think there's one Republican, if I'm not mistaken, maybe two right now, but there'll probably eventually be one because of some of the districting and some of the demographics within the city. Are there things we can do to give Republicans a better chance to win elections in governing what I'll call the economic hub of this area, that being the city of Florence? The number one thing would be annexation. People, some people don't want to be told to live in the city, and you can. I think your neighborhood could annex the whole neighborhood if you get, I think, seventy-five percent of the vote, I believe. And uh, and so that it doesn't happen much, but it could. Basically, if you border the city, you personally can annex uh, to, into the city. So annexation. If you lived in the county right now and you annexed into the city. And that would give you uh, the ability to vote for a city councilman and, in addition, a county councilman. Right now, if you're just in the county, of course, you get no say-so in the city. That's very interesting. Um, update from Columbia. I mean, you were there this week, I would imagine. Budget, did you guys finish the budget? Uh, what did you take on this week, and what is it? Um, what is of interest to the public? Well, we've got crossover date coming up. That's where if you don't have your bill out of the House into that Senate, by a crossover date, then it's unlikely to be heard. It takes a super majority to even talk about it. So well, wait till next year is normally what you have to do. We've got a lot of bills that just pass ways and means. I don't like to talk about too many bills that haven't passed yet because it confuses people. I mean, they think, well, we got that done, and, and it really hadn't. Mm-hmm. I've seen that happen to myself many a time that I thought, well, did, the Senate didn't handle that, and, and we passed it in the House overwhelmingly, but they didn't even hear it over there. So for some rhyme or reason, somebody stops that. But we've got some contentious things out there. The mar- medical marijuana bill is coming up. Uh, there's a school choice bill that, that helps 
people that are very poor be able to choose a school, especially, you know, if they're in a failing school, they have an alternative. They'll take, I think the House version is $5,000. The Senate version is $6,000, I believe. Uh, And they can take that money and go apply it to a private school or a different public school and transfer to to another school. That's kind of the money follows the kid. I mean, that's some of the vouchers we've talked about over the years. But you basically have to be Medicaid eligible to make that. Sure. Uh, But the House has a slightly different version than the Senate. So if we can finish that and come up with with, uh, a solution, then it may provide some very economically poor people a, a way to escape a failing school. Anything else of consequence locally? Because I want you to hang around one more segment and go into something um, that I think our listeners will have a lot of interest in. But anything else that, um, that I mean, I, here's what happens, guys. The House passes bills. They advance legislation. The Senate doesn't. I mean, that's just the nature of the beast. I mean, it, it, like Philip said, things get out of that House, they get to the Senate. You assume because you pass it overwhelmingly, it's going to get fast-tracked and be made law. And for whatever reason, the Senate chooses to just kind of sit there and do nothing um, and I know that frustrates you guys in the house, but that's just the nature of the way the state house works right now. It uh, it's changed. It's changed. That Senate might be crazier than us. You we get ready to find <laughs> wow. out some stuff. They, you know, they're they're doing things that had never been done. As you know, they have. Why they, is that, Philip? I mean, what, what why do you why do you believe that 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 evolution has happened within the Senate? Well, I, they picked up three seats by Republicans last time, um, and. You know, we have to be kind of frank that at the passing of Leatherman, that changed some of the old guard situation, too. He liked so, things done a certain way. Yep. And and he had um, a lot of sway with the Democrats, too. So he, he looked out after – he was a moderate. He was in the middle, to be honest. That That's kind of where sure. where he functioned up there. So those three changes and, and the switch with Leatherman passing, then it's opened the door up to – you know, Harvey Peeler is going to tell you he's real conservative. So he's the the leader of the finance committee now. So there's some things that, like we passed a billion dollar tax cut. Harvey said, well, you ain't going to outcut me. I'm going to do a two billion one. So you don't know what's going to come out of that place now. <laughs> but I, it's got to be it's got to be more uh, encouraging to members of the House to see the Senate that way than than as it was previously uh, the way they previously did business. It's true. But we have to be careful in the House because. We, we passed some sloppy legislation a couple of times and we sent it over there knowing they weren't going to take it up. So it, we can't do that anymore. We, sure. We've got to make sure our stuff is nailed down tight and we debate things. Uh, the House is known for passing things kind of quick. We respond to the mob. If the mob's squ- screaming, well, the transgender bill, there's another one coming out here soon. Uh, it'll be on the House floor before long. But there's one there that in committee died twice. I bet you in, in the, when he hits the floor, and you vote on it, it'll be 80, 85% in favor of, of, of banning transsexuals from uh, from the female sports here, at least in the high school level. Very interesting. Philip Lowe's with us, Representative Philip Lowe of Florence, unopposed. Um, so we know we'll at least have him there for another couple of years. I hope he's there 20 more years if he decides to do it that long. Um, 843-661-0937 is our number. Uh, Representative Lowe doesn't mind answering questions. I'm sure of that. So if you have something to ask him, Call in. We'll take a break. We'll be back in just a second. 843-661-0937 is our number. Someone's on the phone? Yes, sir. Let's go there. David in Florence. Hello, David. You're on with uh, Representative Lowe. Hey, good morning. Uh, yeah, I'd like to ask Rep, uh, Representative Lowe about the uh, purple paint law that's been held up in uh, 
in the government for a couple of years uh, and the Landowner Protection Act that kind of been tweaked by the other states that approved it. The Purple uh, Paint Law. Thank you, David. Appreciate it. Representative Lowe? Well, I know the House has passed that bill, I believe, twice. Explain the bill, if you don't mind. So instead of putting a no trespassing sign up, which heck, everybody ought to know you're trespassing or not, but you can paint the tree. So the board, you can go around the border of your property and take some spray paint and paint purple on the side of the tree. That indicates where the line is. That keeps somebody from trespassing, I guess. But uh, it, it's cheaper to do that. And you know what? What they'll do with the no trespassing sign is they'll come snatch it down and then pretend, well, I didn't know I'm trespassing. And my response is always, well, are you paying taxes here? You know, And they know they're trespassing, but it's a lot easier to write a ticket if you have a sign up and this would take place of the sign and be cheaper and you can't you can't really scrub it off the tree so uh i know we've passed it i've supported it every time and it's just common sense type things philip how how i mean you you are you're an outdoorsman i mean you're a hunter you, know, you love to hunt and fish and, and you love the great outdoors um the republicans get accused of not being as interested in the environment as the democrats are and we've kind of given into that we've allowed them to be the ones most interested in preservation and conservation and all these other sorts of things as an outdoorsman and a and a um a member of the general assembly and a republican how have you addressed um because i would argue that that conservatives believe in limited government but some of the biggest assets this state has is its natural resources well, for me personally, uh, I, I hunt, I fish, so I enjoy the outdoors, and and yeah, I, I take one of them or two of them home with me, you know, and we have a, a meal with them, and and uh, nobody loves them or supports the animals as much as I do. You say, well, then why would you kill one? Well, we all kind of eat chicken and beef, sure. and, all, and and hunting is a, is a sport. It's a good getaway, clear your head. Um, so I'll say. You know, the, I'm on the Ways and Means, and I have a subcommittee budget. And in there, I have the DNR and a conservation bank or two of them. We put in, combined with those two, $100 million this year to preserve land. South Carolina is growing at a fast rate, and things that get developed, you'll just you'll never see it again. It'll, it'll change forever. So uh, the legislature has put a big emphasis on that. And we're, we're trying to work a bill back in that, that designates a certain amount of money going to the conservation bank every year. And that's the way it used to be. It changed. We're trying to put it back the way it used to. Uh, and, and we think we'll have that bill next January ready for that. But I can serve all the way until the first day of hunting season. I'll take one. You know, that's I got you. Uh, but we have the same love for the wildlife and same appreciation as a bird watcher does. Let, uh, let, in that vein, staying in that sta- in that same context, um, there's been a lot of concern about the uncertainty of Santee Cooper and how that will or will not eventually affect the lakes. Um, many, many, many people enjoy those lakes and have for many, many, many years. The state has made a tremendous investment in that with the partnership with Santee Cooper. Santee Cooper is on shaky ground. I don't have any idea what's going to happen. I don't know who does know with clarity what's going to happen. Um, say what it is you're willing to say about Santee Cooper, the energy company, and the lakes that people have enjoyed for so many years? Well, the lake is hydroelectric energy for them. So they think about just keeping that lake clear of vegetation and clear of any obstructions that would prevent the water from flowing for hydroelectric power. 
so that you know they're not as as much concerned i think about um development of it they haven't really been out there trying to to develop the land that they had so i, I like that part of them that they're not out there converting a lot of that land to overusing the lake and all so they've been a pretty good partner on the lake i'll say now i've got a a fund that i got started last year to have a pilot study on clearing some of the stumps you know that lake when they first did the hydroelectric they got into world war ii they needed the hydroelectric energy they left all the trees out there i don't know when you when i was a young boy you could look out there and it looked like a forest almost Mm -hmm. and that's basically what it was they left all those trees out of a hundred and like a hundred thousand acres worth of trees out there. So what are they now? They're stumps and they're about six inches under the water. You have to be careful. You have to know where you're going in the main body of that lake. So uh, we're, we're getting a pilot study done to see what it would cost to clear some of the lake. And I'm heading that up. Is there, is there, I mean, is the decision on what to do with Santee still pending the sale, um, is it still out there and, 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 and a lot of different people are grappling with it? That that time has passed now. Uh, we've made some adjustments on the board and and uh, I think they know we're watching them a whole lot closer to make sure we didn't. I mean, listen, we'd love to have had that nuclear power. Sure. I uh, wish that would work out. Uh, as we can see right now, if any of the places that are using coal or natural gas and natural gas went way up in price that the uranium wouldn't have gone up you know we'd have had a constant mm-hmm. supply there i wish that had worked because that's a really good thing for the future as long as you, know, you don't have a chernobyl well with the growth in south carolina are we worried at all about the ability to provide energy for these uh the, these new citizens these new businesses i mean you, you've made a big concerted effort and i applaud you for this for um kind of rebranding economic development in this area you know let's let's do something different we've Maybe we have trailed the state for the last 10 or 15 or 20 years. Let's revamp that. Let's revisit that. Let's make investments here in our community. But um, but but does it concern you um, that, that that we will always have enough? I mean, you're talking about Santee Cooper. There have been a lot of question marks about, about Santee Cooper. Um, you feel better about where they are. I think that's stabilizing now. Okay. Uh, it, and, yes, we will run out of electricity if we don't continue – to find our sources and all. So that's and the what, nuclear fina- fiasco put us even further behind the eight ball. Is that right. a fair assessment? That was going to get us well ahead. We're sure. going to have plenty into the future. So, yeah, we have to rethink it now. And, and, and you know, all of a sudden natural gas became very lucrative and cheap or, you know, inexpensive. You have a war, you have something going on, you have somebody who tries to shut down on a national level your your economic base for, for all of the uh, – you know, fossil fuels, then all of a sudden we, we see a war and in, in President Biden's uh, proposals there shutting everything down. Everything rises up and doubles. So I don't know. Is natural gas the solution? It may not be, but I can promise you that uranium would have been. But you will always, no matter what happens with Santee Cooper, the energy company, you will always advocate for the public being able to enjoy those lakes no matter what happens because there was a lot of concern amongst fellow outdoorsmen when it became questionable about what we're going to do with Santee Cooper what happens to the lakes I mean I got to believe that you would be one of the the loudest voices in making sure that remains a natural resource that the public and the taxpayer are able to enjoy you know the first week that story broke 
I wrote a statewide article in several papers, and it was called Save the Lakes. So, yeah, you know, you can't throw away those lakes and just turn them over to somebody who doesn't care about the, the recreation that we all enjoy. Very well said. Last question, kind of an unfair question, but I'm asking it anyway. Um, there's a lot of uh, there, there's a lot of conversation about transgenderism in America today. There's a lady swimming for uh, one of our prestigious universities who's really a man. I mean, Leah Thomas is really a dude, but she's getting to swim with women. Is there any? And some of the red states, I've read some of these. Um, some of these, some of this legislation is being being introduced. Is there any interest of the General Assembly to disallow those transgender male athletes competing in female competitions to come to the state of South Carolina. In other words, if, um, if university of Pennsylvania had a swim meet against Clemson or South Carolina, could the state and would the state be interested in creating legislation that would make it illegal for her to compete against Gamecock or tiger female swimmers? First, you have to play the music, the intro to the twilight zone. <laughs> As we're talking about this, who could it believe? But it's real. But it's real, Philip. No, look, stop. Please stop. There's one simple test. It's the pants pull down test. We can figure out who's what and what we are and move on from that. Boys stick in their lane, girls stick in theirs. It's unfair to the girls for us to physically compete. And it's unfair for them to mentally compete because they're smarter than we are. Sure. (laughs) But do you think that the General Assembly would have any appetite for legislation that that would... um that, that would legalize or, or make illegal a woman coming or, or a, a man coming disguised as a woman. You and I would agree to that. But I, mean, I know I'd say this in front of you. Uh, a man disguised as a woman swimming in a swim meet uh, against a gamecock or a tiger female swimmer. It's just it's fundamentally unfair. I mean, it is the twilight zone. It's crazy that we're even having this conversation, but we are. And I do believe that, that ultimately uh, the General Assembly is the lawmakers of this state. Um, do, do you sense there may be an appetite at some point in time to, to, to go down that road legislatively, not, not you and I over a beer talking about the twilight zone or not, but, but to, to pass law that will make sure we protect female athletes in our state. Well, the NCAA is more of a national thing. Sure. So it's real hard. It's a to sanctioning dig in. body. Yeah. It's hard to dig in. I guess your conference might could do that, but then you get in a war with another conference. So they start changing rules and say, well, you have to be born in America to do that. I mean, you just, you don't know where that goes. But we are attacking it right now from at least uh, our high schools. And uh, that's what this bill will be about. We'll be voting on last, before too long. Last question, and I want you to touch on this, if you will. I've read a lot about this, and you and I have discussed this over the year. I think we talked about it last week. Um, we're having enormous growth in certain places around South Carolina, in, in Horry County, in Charleston County, in Greenville County. Um, a lot of other places are seeing a decline in growth. Um, to me, that leads to disproportional representation. Uh, when we do an ex-census, it'll be even more um, heavily represented by these fast, fast-growing counties. How does Columbia deal with that? Do, do, the, do the representation in Charleston, Horry, Greenville understand? I mean, last week you talked about the problem with growth that they're having. But, but do they understand that we can't allow those three or four counties to direct all the public policy that the rest of us have to abide by and live with. You know, it's up to the leadership to try to find ways to encourage industry in the rural areas, in the 
It, well, the whole I ninety five card. Or Can just, we do that, Philip? I mean, is, I mean, obviously you're 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 believing in the private sector. I am as well, but but government does have a role. In, in facilitating some of these things, I mean, how can we? I don't. I don't say how can we stop Ori from growing so fast, or Charleston from growing so fast, or Greenville. I guess the the point is, how can we encourage growth in some of these places who are lagging behind those fast growing areas? You know, we have a lot of things that uh, monies that come out, and they require a match. And you have to basically look at these small towns and say they don't have a match. They can't put their hundred thousand to get. 500,000 from the other, you know, from state government or federal government. To improve so water, sewer infrastructure or something like that. So we've got to waive matches and things like that so so they can expand and improve their area to get it ready for growth because people aren't going to want to move out to a place where, you know, they got bad water and <laughs> they, they've got uh, just terrible infrastructure. So it's, it's part on us to recognize the difference between the have and the have nots in the counties and cities and all and and make policy that enables them a chance to grow but we don't we're not really supposed to steer it but uh i'll say i i think something big might be coming not to florence but things will be there's something big coming i think in our state and and we're trying to steer that towards rural areas so that that helps from the department of commerce with this and getting getting some changes so it isn't in this just four spots in the state moving it around a little bit very encouraging thank you philip thank you representative philip Lowe. um i guess newly elected because he doesn't have any opposition so um that's always the best way to to go back to the house unopposed is the opponent everybody everybody wants so um thanks to representative Lowe. he and um these guys have a standing invitation and we'll try to do a better job in Sumter and Orangeburg of dedicating whatever amount of time we need to on Friday to get these guys in here and um and take calls and tell you exactly what they've got going on in Columbia. Take a break. Back in a minute. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven. I've heard some of that scuttlebutt that there's there's some talk in certain states about disallowing some of these transgender athletes, men disguised as women, coming down to try to win um, whatever event and swimming meet and track meet and all these other mm-hmm. um, sorts of things. Um, that's a pretty aggressive stand to take, but it's, I mean, yeah, I, I would probably do that. I mean, if the University of Pennsylvania were to come to a swim meet and compete against the University of South Carolina or Clemson University or Coastal or, or Francis Marion, whomever, I don't know who all has a swim team and who doesn't, um, there, there's some legislative authority. I mean, I think it would be challenged. I think it'd be litigated, but I think there's some standing, there's some precedent that, that would, um, there's some language there that you could argue. I mean, lawyers get paid to argue, right? That you could argue is um is a legal precedent that would disallow Leah Thomas from being able to swim against um females that that are gamecocks or tigers. Um it's just I mean, as Philip said, it's the twilight zone. I mean it really is. To believe we live in a country where someone would have to pass a law that says, um, you know, a um a person with a um uh, the the male genitalia. Here I'm gonna go with the genitalia <laughs> word again. You've used that word a lot. Well, well I mean, the, the blue origin is the flying genitalia, <laughs> um, and that just kind of gets that word front and center. So, so a um, a swimmer from the University of Pennsylvania who has male genitalia jumps into a pool in Columbia or Clemson, South Carolina, and and competes against a female who has female genitalia. It's just, I mean, the, the absurdity of that. Mm-hmm. I, mean, that sir, I mean, the absurdity of that being allowed. But you know what we're doing? We're measuring estrogen levels. And we're measuring, measuring testosterone levels. Um, as Philip said, 
you know, let, let's see, let's see what's going on. You know, I mean, below <laughs> the belt. I mean, it, well, you are either or. And um, and it really goes to the, the the Disney bill and don't say gay. And, and the president yesterday gave a speech talking about, I don't know if you saw this, but apparently it was Transgender Awareness Day. And what what does that even mean? I don't know. I mean, am I to be more Twilight aware Zone. of transgenders today than I was yesterday? I mean, I'm, 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 I'm very aware of transgenderism. I'm probably too damn aware of transgenderism. <laughs> Um, and you're fact, hearing a lot about well, it. Here's my official stance. We don't do this much. You ready for a an official stance yeah. on transgenderism? I don't want it around me. <laughs> I don't want it near me. I, I, I'm I'm confused by it. I'm upset by it. I'm bothered. I'm freaked out. Uh, it makes me uncomfortable. So there's my stance on transgenderism. I don't need a politician or, or some you know um, genetic biologist to tell me what is and what ain't. I mean, I, you know, I I think the good Lord kind of gave all of us brain enough to know what is one and what is what is the other so in transgender transgenderism awareness day i am unbelievably aware of transgenderism and i'm opposed to it (laughs) fundamentally (laughs) opposed uh, to it and i'm even more opposed to young ladies who work their butts off that's probably an improper thing with a female um but but you know work hard and diligently to become the best swimmer they can and they jump into a swimming pool with their orange swimsuit on or their garnet swimsuit or their teal swimsuit. And, and they, they compete against a six-foot man who takes estrogen enough to call himself a woman. I mean, that's just that's so bizarre to me that we've normalized that. And I do believe that at some point in time, Putin or Xi make a calculus and they forget the $30 trillion in debt. And they just kind of verbalize, hey, did you know America's letting a dude outswim a bunch of women and they're celebrating it? Half the country are celebrating that some man is whipping on, on, on a bunch of women in swimming meets around. And did you know it's the university that one of their former presidents went to? President Trump's a graduate of UPN. And that's where it is, University of Pennsylvania swim. I mean, it's it's just it's lunacy. There, there's a meme that I've seen online, and it talks about the Chinese are teaching their third graders advanced calculus, and in America we're teaching our third graders men can have babies. Yeah, and Mickey Mouse is furious that Ron DeSantis wants to stop some of this nonsense. Good for Ron DeSantis. We need more Ron DeSantis's. We need a lot more Ron DeSantis. <laughs> Who's on Fox News right yeah, now? Yeah, just standing up against some of this nonsense. But I, I get. Disney has a right to run their business as they see fit, that there is no doubt about it. But go back and read some of the Reedy Creek Improvement Act of 1967, and they made a deal with the um, with the state of Florida. And the deal was, you know, on these 44 miles of land, we do whatever we choose to do. If we want to build a nuclear plant, we build a nuclear plant, and they stand in opposition. In other words, they would be, if the, if the Florida General Assembly or to adopt legislation that prohibited a a man disguised as a woman swimming against female swimmers, Disney would take exception to that. I mean, they would probably hire lawyers and involve in that. Um, the family-friendly business is no longer as family. Well, let me say this again. The family-friendly business is no longer friendly to the traditional family. How about that? The, the traditional biblical worldview of family is very different than Disney's current interpretation. Take a break. Back in a minute. Last hour of the week, 843-661-0937. I can hear the cheers. 
uh, for the last hour on the, <laughs> the week. Yeah. 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 It takes Mondays to make Fridays, look, look right? Look forward to Fridays yeah. usually, right? Well, Weekends around most the Most of us do. Most of us do. We- weather's getting warmer. It is. Um, masters around the corner. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. College baseball kind of in full swing. Uh, Major League Baseball will start here uh, very soon. And, uh, Next and, week. And then we'll get to um, to summer. And we enjoy ourselves during the summer. Weather, once again, it gets better. Well, I think it's better if you like hot weather. It doesn't if you like cold weather. Uh, I've talked to a lot of people. I'm, I'm tired of the hot weather. I'm tired of the cold weather. Um, move to San Diego. That's where they sell land by the square foot. Because the, um, the, the temperature in San Diego yeah. is about 79 year-round. Or Honolulu. Yeah, or Honolulu. There you go. There, yeah. there would be another that, place. That'd, that'd be very nice. But, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. And I never complain about the hot weather because I just don't like the cold. So yeah, I don't I'll, like the hot, I'll hot, the humid hot. weather. Um, what I call monkey hot. When it gets monkey hot, mm-hmm. I'm opposed to that. So you brought up something uh, in a previous segment today that I thought uh, is interesting, and it really puts a perspective on what we're seeing in today's war, and it, that has to do with the casualties. And the casualties that, that Russia suffered during uh, previous world wars, I mean, in the in the multiple millions of people. And I know we're talking now about, you know, and, and every death, you know, is, is tragic in a way, obviously. Um, but you t- we're talking thousands, you know, a few thousand here, a few thousand there. Relatively speaking, there's no comparison. So, I mean, you, it, it gives well, an interesting it, perspective well, that we need to keep in mind. War is not diplomacy. War is not political debate discussion. War is, um, I mean, it, you know, maybe a little different now with all this um, advanced technology and drones, drones and all the, yeah, I mean, of course, we've got advanced weaponry. Um, but but historically, war in America has been brutal, unbelievably brutal. And the point I try to make is, um, if you think the Russians are going to throw the towel in because somewhere between seven and 15,000 of their young men and women, uh, mostly men, have been killed, you just don't know the history of Russia. Nobody on this planet understands death in war like Russia does. And the numbers are staggering. Um, if I'm not mistaken, somebody could correct me on this. Nearly 20% of all the men in Russia were killed in the Second World War. Rev, if I'm not mistaken, in Poland, it may have been one in five or one in seven or something like that, one in four. I mean, it was just an absurd number, percentage of the male population that died in that war. So when we hear J.D. Vance or we hear Lindsey Graham or we hear the former, the late John McCain or or, or Rand Paul, for that matter. I mean, all these guys have interesting and very different political opinions about, you know, where to invade, when to invade. But but war's brutal. War, war is, I mean, a lady with her kid and a backpack walking across a railroad track trying to get to Poland. I mean, that that's a um, that's ah, that's a byproduct of war. I mean, that's a result of someone fleeing because. Uh, the violence is in her land, in her neighborhood, and she wants to keep her kid. I mean, we all understand the humanistic story there. I think what we fail to understand at times is we, we believe the spoken word and the diplomatic effort to find what war really is. And I think when you look at the the brutality of war, the reality of war, and how many Russians have lost their lives, I mean, it's it's an unbelievable amount of of, of young men. By and large, I mean, there were some women, but mostly in some of these Europe, Eastern uh, European countries, well, really around the world. I mean, women are enlisting in the military at a higher rate than they ever have, but the percentage of people who are killed in war 
is still disproportionately uh, far more heavily weighted to the male population of whatever country we're talking about. But yeah, the first world war and the second world war. I mean, the second we live in a po- we say we live in a post cold war world. We really live in a post second world war world. Um, so let's never forget. I mean, we tend to focus on the the war in Ukraine. Uh, through the eyes of Lindsey Graham or Mitt Romney or John Kasich or whomever is out, you know, expressing an opinion. But I, I just think you've always got to remember that 20-year-old male, that 22, whether they're Russian, Ukrainian, American, doesn't matter. I mean, it's somebody's kid, it's somebody's husband, it's somebody's loved one, and and to believe that that many, that much human life has been snuffed out in the name of war. And I think if we realize that and if we prioritize that. We'd be a lot more hesitant to engage in conflict than we are. I mean, I understand the drones have sanitized some of this. You know, the um, the, the fighting a war from afar. In other words, we've got drones and technology, and we've got missiles that will go from here to wherever, you know, in a nanosecond to do enormous damage and devastation. But on the other end of that missile is human life and the snuffing out of human life. And, and I, I've just, I mean, I've always felt that. You know, wars in America have historically been fought by powerful politicians and rich kids, excuse me, poor kids. I mean, that's kind of the, um, you talk about different ends of, of the political spectrum or the, the, the humanistic spectrum. You've got a powerful politician who, um, who finds himself on the Foreign Affairs Council or whatever. I mean, wherever he is, he's advising an American president. He's advising a legislative body on what to do and when to do and how to do. But on the other end of that decision is a 20-year-old kid from Pamplico who enlisted in the armed services because of, you know, it's either that or the farm. And the farm was not too enticing. And I think when we start having these diplomatic conversations and debates, you've always got to remember that when you launch a hundred javelin missiles, they're intended to do what? Kill the enemy. And that that's the cold, hard truth of this. And, and I, you know, and I get caught up in this as much as anybody. I like what J.D. Vance said. I don't like what Lindsey Graham said. That John McCain was too much of a warmonger for me. Uh, Rand Paul, I like his non-interventionist tendencies. And you folks out there listening have a lot of different proclivities. And, uh, and you're certainly entitled to those. But I think we, 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 we sometimes fail to understand. And I think these numbers remind us. I mean, you know, um, 117,000 Americans were killed in the First World War. Three million Russians were. In the Second World War, the United States and United Kingdom um, had about 400,000 um, casualties. And Russia had about 27 million. I mean, that's brutal. I mean, that, that's, I mean, imagine a country where you take one of every five or six males who live there and you just wipe them off the planet Earth. I mean, imagine what that country looks like. How does it reel? How does it reestablish normalcy? I mean, how many families, you know, were, were destroyed or devastated as a result of that? And I just think we, we don't do a good job of understanding. I mean, I, I'm guilty of this, Ref. How many times have you heard me say, man, that's a big tank. That's a powerful missile. I mean, that aircraft carrier, I think one morning last week I said, and you laugh at the way I, because I'm so country, and I said, I'm glad that thing ain't pointed at me. <laughs> right. Yeah, one of those missiles leaving aircraft. I'm glad that thing, but it's pointed at somebody. Yep. I mean, there, there's a reason it's been deployed. There's a reason it's been launched. And I just think we've always got to understand that human life is precious, and it needs to be respected. And, and, and political leaders make these decisions 
But these decisions are made by, by the working class of Russia or the working class of Ukraine. I read something yesterday that was not as um not, not as celebrating of Zelensky as some of these other things we've read. I mean, I've read him being compared to Churchill. Um, how many Ukrainians are being killed? Their country being destroyed. Um, Zelensky's responsible for some of that. I understand invasion of a sovereign nation, defending your right to freedoms and liberties and the way you, I mean, I understand all that. But, but you know, any time a political leader says we're going to fight this war, you, you got to do that with the mindset of innocent people are going to be killed. And, and I, I just think sometimes we fail to deal with that the way we should. Let's go to the phone. Here's David in the PD. Morning, David. Hey, good morning. Hey, sometimes, Ken, uh, I'll catch some young people off guard, and I'll say, hey, I've got a trivia question for you. Can you name three countries that were in World War II? And they will give me like this astonished look. Uh, and what they search for, they'll go to that phone, and they'll start trying to Google that. And really, if they knew any countries, they could probably name just countries. Uh, and I'll give Philip Lowe. I think he's got that Crocodile Dundee gender test. What he was talking about, uh, that's kind of simple. And you were playing Springsteen. And I think he said he got a wife and kids in Baltimore, Jack. Uh, somewhere along the line, he understood a concept of wife and kids. And I always look at Baltimore. That used to be a great city back in the day. I think Abu Powell and Johnny Unitas, uh, they were championship cities. Um, but Springsteen, that song came out in 1980, and you had a chance to meet with uh, George and Herschel, correct? I did. Enjoyed that. That yes, was a lot sir. of fun. Yes, yes, sir. Here, here's my thought. I think I caught a little bit of your show yesterday. Well, I think of George – I don't know why I think of this, but I think of artificial turf. I mean, this cat played – why would we have artificial turf back in the 70s? But, I mean, I understand Astrodome and all that, if you're in a dome. But a lot of these athletes, like Earl Campbell, Tony, Tony Dorsett, they have, does, does George have – does he have a pain? Does he have any things like that? That's what I was going to ask you about. I'll say this, David, and I think you'd be interested in this. I, I said it. Uh, the morning I got back, I'm worried about George. I mean, I, I'm not George's best friend by any stretch of the imagination. Um, the reason I went to Walterboro, I graduated high school in 1982, and I played football. George won the Heisman in 1980. Uh, Walker won the national championship in 80, and Walker won the Heisman at 82. So they were kind of, I mean, they were who I thought I wanted to be. You know what I mean? I wasn't as big as fast as either of those guys. But, I mean, it was a, um, I don't know, it was, it was kind of a nostalgic visit for me in Walterboro to see Herschel and George stand there. But, David, Herschel looked like he could play today. That doesn't surprise anybody. George looked, I mean, it, it was, I mean, I, I'm worried about him. I mean, I, and I think a lot of Gamecock fans are worried about him. Um, when you When you carry the football as many times as he did in the NFL between the tackle, it takes a toll on you. And um and George is a couple of years young or older than I am, and he just doesn't get along well at all. You know, Earl Campbell's in a wheelchair now, and um and, and I'm afraid and and, and I and I mean this. You know, uh, as I said, George doesn't mean me advocating for his health and well being, but um but those two guys were contemporaries and peers of one another. They just looked fun. But George couldn't stand up long enough to take but ten or twelve pictures, and then he'd have to sit down. And I think Herschel could still be standing there. If it was required, but if you're a Gamecock fan, um, yeah, I think there's a there's a reason to be concerned about George. He probably doesn't want me saying that over the airwaves, but I actually sent him a text. 
and then you know he's um he just gained a lot of weight and he's gotten older and he's beat up anyway and it was um it, it was bothered it bothered me a lot i told rev when i got here it really it concerned me as a gamecock fan well i think about herschel um you know, let's get into politics here because he grew up in Wrightsville, Georgia, Johnson County. I think there's like 10,000 people live there now. And we always t- think about these progressives, whatever people. Uh, just me and you talking about George and Herschel, they, I think, we're just racist people. And no, but these are people that are our contemporaries, and we root for these guys, man. And Herschel, really, I hate to say this, is a, a, in high school, he was a hero of mine. I mean, this guy's uh, cover of Sports Illustrated, and they, they asked him, uh, how do you stay in shape? He said he rake leaves. Uh, somewhere along the line, he found a simple way. You, you, you do push-ups and sit-ups and all that kind of stuff. You discipline about that, do it every day. Guess what? You know, you stay in shape. Uh, but the fact that he comes from just a, such humble roots, and he has that Christian faith and uh, that that leads me to want to vote for him just just for those reasons only. Regardless, of they make fun of him or whatever about what he says about evolution and this and that. That's that's the media. They don't believe in God. But you know you can't talk about a creator, and that's in Declaration of Independence. But good gosh, you don't talk about a creator something to take our power away from us. There's actually a creator, uh, but. I just, I'm just so, I'm a big Herschel fan, and he, he is a good. I saw Commerce Georgia, he went Trump rally was last weekend, and I saw he did about six minutes, and he talked about United States, we're a bunch of mutts, which is true. Nobody likes to hear that, but we are. We're, and you're talking about, can, I can't tell the difference between somebody from Ukraine or Hungary or Bulgaria, but they can. But the beauty of this country we're a bunch of mutts. We can't really tell the difference in a lot of these things that go way back with racism and ethnicity and culture that the Europeans do. But I'll, I'll leave you at that. Y'all have a good weekend. Thank you, David. Appreciate it. Have a good weekend as well. Yeah, um, I enjoyed that. I mean, Re- I, I told Rev, I said, man, I'm hardly ever excited about anything anymore, but going to down. And I was thinking about this. Remember Larry said earlier this week about Rick and Bob, you know, he didn't say I'm a Republican I mean, here are the things I stand for. You know, may, yeah, I mean, I, I align with the Republican, but here's what I, I was thinking about this coming home, or really a day or two later. So I went to a hunting club in, in Waterboro, South Carolina, for Herschel Walker running for the Senate and special guest George Rogers. I mean, there was a day that nobody would have taken that seriously. So a football hero is running for Senate with the endorsement of a neighboring state's football hero, but people don't remember um, David said that, that Herschel grew up in Wrightsville, Georgia. George grew up in Duluth, Georgia. So they're both small-town guys. And, and and really, it was refreshing to me to not see. Now, there were two people there. I told Rev that there were two political operatives there, and I know them from days gone by from having been inside the uh, the belly of the beast, so to speak. And um, I mean, they're there mooching. I mean, they're there trying to figure out an opportunity. Um, but Herschel was a sincere – he was the most sincere guy there except for George. I mean, and when they were start they start talking about contributions, I mean, I, I'll tell you, I went to a little VIP event before because I made a contribution to Herschel's campaign, um, not because I think he's going to save America, but but he's somewhat of a hero of mine. And I told him, you, you stand in a line, there's probably 75 or 80 people, you stand in a line, they've got a backdrop, Herschel for Senate. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm an older guy, so I'm not, I mean, I, I don't do hero worshiping and I don't see autographs and all this, but it's part of the... Um, 
part of the attendee as a VIP is, um, and you paid for that. They didn't give you anything. Rest assured, if it's in politics, you're paying for it. And for a little more money, you can get a little more, you know, um, exclusivity. But, um, but I walked up and everybody shook Herschel's hand and, um, everybody probably had something to say. And, and I'll tell you what's very interesting, Rev. About a third of the attendees had a Georgia Bulldog football helmet, a South Carolina Gamecock football helmet, or a Clemson Tiger football. I mean, it, it was kind of a, um, because those schools have cross-referenced one another. Um, who is the Gamecock's biggest rivalry other than Clemson? Georgia. Who is, who is Clemson's biggest rivalry other than the Gamecocks? Georgia. Um, and, and, and Walker and Rogers kind of fit into that rivalry, I mean, that trifecta, that Clemson, South Carolina, Georgia. And obviously, those two programs have had a lot more success than the Gamecocks, but, but the Gamecocks bring a Heisman Trophy to the table in, in George Rogers. But when I stepped up and said to Herschel, I said two things real quick. I said, I'm a former elected official in South Carolina, and you're the best college football player I've ever seen in my life. And it was just a sincere, I mean, it was not, can I get your business card? Because there's about eight or ten things politicians say the second you say that. You know, but Herschel was just like. What did he say when you said, he said that? Hey, that's, that's mighty kind of you, man. Thank you. Where oh. are you from? And I said, the PD region of South Carolina. And I had a, a shirt with a Gamecock on the sleeve. And he said, a lot of Gamecocks here today. A lot of Gamecocks <laughs> here. He said, um, you know, I mean, it's just, it, it was very authentic, very real. And, and I do believe, and, and David and I have talked a lot about this. You know what I've talked a lot. I think there's something about small town. I think there's a humbleness. I'm not saying people in big cities aren't humble. I mean, Trump's a classic example of you can grow up in Queens and be a humble man. Because Trump is. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> A, a certain degree of sarcasm. <laughs> what was it? <laughs> Trump's a lot of things. He damn sure ain't humble. Not right? humble and at I all. think if you called him humble, he'd be insulted by, <laughs> by, by calling him a humble man. But uh, but no, I mean th those two guys were. Um, and here's the funny part. So at the end, they do a video, and Herschel says, "Hey, we're in Waterboro, South Carolina. Uh, my my good Gamecock and Tiger fan or Gamecock and Tiger friends." Or trying to help me get elected to the Senate. I want to say thank you very much to the people here. And if you want to help us, send $34. That was my number. Or send $38. Better yet, send $38. That was George's number. And it, and it was not orchestrated. It was not prearranged. Um, a couple of political operatives. But by and large, um, and then it was interesting. The age group was probably about my age. And I got to believe that everybody was there. I mean, they want Herschel to win. Because I think most of those folks are Republicans. It was a kind of a um, it was a business-minded crowd. It was guys in the logging business and the farming business, and a couple of people who own construction companies. So it was um, it was what you would expect at a Republican fundraiser, but you don't expect that many Gamecock footballs or Clemson Tiger footballs. I saw Herschel sign the back of a um, a Deshaun Watson jersey. Uh, some young lady had a Deshaun Watson Clemson jersey and as uh, she got her picture taken she turned around and herschel signed the back of her jersey just kind of an ended gamecock i mean some got a, a big gamecock football that herschel signed it that george signed it and um and i thought about what larry said you know i'm not talking about being a republican i'm talking about you know representing the interest of the american people and and i think when you met george and herschel you didn't believe they were up to something and and that was refreshing and uh, and engaging to me take a break back in a minute 843-661-0937 is our number. Someone's on the phone. Let's go there. Sam in Darlington. Good morning. You're on the air. Good morning. Morning, Dom. Ken, I want to say uh, thank you for being a witness against what seems to be just sort of an overwhelming 
war fever, you know, whipping up hatred for Putin and Russia, and it's just uh, it's amazing the way it's going on with the mainstream media and the and the, the not just the liberals or the conservatives. It's all of both of them. Everybody seems to want to uh, even do more. And um, I saw a poll last night that it's a majority of Americans think we ought to, you know actually put troops in there, you know, go go war. You know, using the Ukrainians as proxy fighters against Russia is not enough for us, apparently. Um, and it's it's just a, a crazy thing, and I don't know how uh, people that are standing against it are going to win, but, I mean, but you can't do anything but uh, stand against it and say, wait a minute. Um, I, a thought occurred to me, some time ago, that uh, God is just a, as offended against a death in an unnecessary war as he is by an unnecessary abortion. You know, a, 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 if you're not to save the life of the mother or something like that, it, it it's just uh, it is a is an amazing disrespect for life, and it seems to seems to transcend the political spectrum. So anyway, that's all I got to say this morning. But thank you for for adding your voice to the few that are saying something about it. Thank you, Sam. Appreciate that. And uh, I know Sam and I disagree on a lot of things. I think we have similar opinions to this. And, and I, I don't want to I want to make this crystal clear because here's what the media. Well, here's what the American public have convinced themselves of. If I'm arguing against the war, I'm a pro Putin apologist. And that's what's happened to J.D. Vance in Ohio. Vance said um, unapologetically that we need to revisit our notions and our tendencies. And um, I want to get this exactly straight. I don't want to make sure I misquote J.D. Vance. He said, spare me the performative affection for the Ukraine. I mean, that's his exact quote. And then he says, I really don't care what happens to Ukraine one way or the other. Now, he's careful not to say the Ukrainians. I mean, I think that's strategic on his behalf. But since he has said that, Rev, you know what's happened? He's fallen 11 points in the poll. You know why? Because he's a pro-Putin apologist uh, via the media and some of the other conservative circles and liberal circles, for that matter. This has always been kind of an orthodox argument within the Republican Party. You know, who can be more hawkish than whom? we got to be strong. But I'm trying to figure out how you square that up with America first. Well, I mean, I think the public have such an appetite for this morality provision. And, I mean, it's not a provision, but it is a reality. It's a, it's a, um, I mean, it's, it's, it's a propaganda campaign perpetrated against the American public convincing them that the moral thing to do is to defend Ukraine. No. I mean, America doesn't have a moral morality clause. I mean, we don't legislate that way, do we? I mean, I hope we don't. I mean, I understand the sympathy. I understand the caring. I understand the, the, the respect. And, I, and I've, I don't have a problem at times in providing weaponry. But, but I, I just think we, we've, we've embraced. Uh, that's probably an improper. We've accepted. We've accepted that if you question um, the support to Ukraine, you're, you're, you're a Putin apologist. And, and you, I mean, there's a price to pay in American politics. for. Larry said this morning, no matter what J.D. Vance thought, that the politically expedient thing to do is what? To keep his mouth shut. 
and to just kind of, you know, but, but J.D. Vance is not going to do that. And, and here's what I'm saying. The, the culture of America and, and its response to war has always been morality first and rationale second. Um, I could easily argue, Rev, that we provoked Russia into invading Ukraine. Now, now CNN won't tell you that story. Fox won't tell you that story. That The media is absolutely complicit in this propaganda campaign. And I'm not saying it's all propaganda. Of course, there are facts in here. But, but I think CNN is pushing for escalation. I think the New York Times is pushing for escalation. And I think the way they do this is by convincing the American public that the moral thing to do is in, uh, to, to involve ourselves even further. You know, maybe there comes a point in time when we have to put boots on the ground or enforce a no-fly zone. And, and, and I just don't buy that. I mean, I, I just don't fall for the propaganda. I, I, don't, I don't buy the company line out of Washington. And, and I'm highly skeptical of what our motivations are. Um, and the reason, I guess, I'm more skeptical than most of you, I probably read more about this than you have. We, we referred to a 2021 article at the Cato Institute by a guy who wrote a book called NATO, The Dangerous um, Dinosaur. And out of that, he says, we have, we have provoked Putin for about a decade, maybe a little better than a decade. I'm not defending blowing up buildings and killing innocent people. I think I can do both. I think I can argue for less intervention and care deeply for those people, that lady and her kid and that suitcase trying to make their way into Poland. I mean, I can do both. I mean, I'm not saying this as easy as chewing gum and walking at the same time. But, but when I say that I don't believe America needs to escalate its involvement, I think America needs to be real careful about how involved it gets, I don't think that excludes me from caring about that woman. But I think we've got to define our responsibilities. What are our obligations? I mean, the American government has a responsibility to who? I mean, its first priority should be who? The American people. The American people. Are the American people's safety and security at risk by Russia invading Ukraine? Nobody's convinced me of that yet. Now, if they, inv- if they invade a NATO nation, we've already made a deal that we are on the hook. We are liable to, uh, to, 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 to protect that interest because we're a member of NATO. They're a member of NATO. I'm not so sure I'm for that. And, and, I, and I, I'll accept that I'm probably more of a non-interventionist than most of our listeners. The one point I make of all the military endeavors that we've um, pursued since Vietnam, how many have been successful? How many have turned out like the experts said it would? Probably just the one, Desert Storm. Desert is all Storm. I can think of. You know why? We were very limited. We had a very defined mission. What was the mission? Liberate Kuwait. I mean, that, that was our mission. What did we do? We liberated Kuwait. What did a lot of the neocons want to do? Go, Go to Baghdad, Baghdad and take out Saddam Hussein. We, we're just, we don't do a good job of, of, of managing how involved or not we need to be. And I understand it's complicated. And I, and I, and I, I, I accept that it's, not, you know, it's a lot easier to sit behind microphone number three in a studio in Florence, South Carolina, and express what we should or should not do. It's far more complicated than that. But it's not as simple as CNN says. It's not as simple as Fox News says. They're in the business of escalation. And the way they escalate is to propagandize. And the best propaganda is to play on whether you are a moral person or not, whether you care about that lady, kid, and suitcase or not. I think I could genuinely pray for and care for 
that lady trying to make her way to Poland, but believe America has no role, no responsibility in interfering in the affairs of those two nations. Let's go to the phone. Jim in Florence. Good morning, Jim. Hey, good morning, guys. Uh, we finally got Cato to rub off on uh, the rev there. He, he <laughs> did he tell you hello? Did he ask was... you how your mom was? He, oh, he did. He definitely okay. did. And, yeah, uh, I, I did it. So much better now. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Ken, I, the moral equivalency and uh, all this going on with the morality of it, I look at this situation. Ken, I, I'm in my early 30s, and I was – 12 years old when we invaded Afghanistan and we just left and it wasn't even on good terms. So if you have a child, if your wife is pregnant, if your daughter is pregnant, you cannot be for this war unless you're okay with your son being blown to smithereens because this country has proven that we get into a conflict and can't figure out how to get out of it. And, and so I cannot be for this war. I cannot be for any escalation, but cl- because clearly it's going to last forever, and clearly my children, my two sons, one one being just born and one being uh, less than five years old, they risk having to go fight this war twenty years from now, and I can't be for that. Thank you, Jim. Thank you, Jim. And that's a passionate statement from someone who um, shares my view, and um, and I encourage that point of view. You know, that point of view has been condemned. We've referred to an article today, um, and I think this is an interesting read. So, um, and there, there's an article in the Cato Institute, and uh, one article led to another, led to another, led to another, and I end up uh, on the Cato Institute's website, and, and the title of the article, we've already said this earlier, I want to say it again, because we have an audience that kind of transitions in and out. Um, since when did Ukraine become an important U.S. ally? The United States is flirting with crossing a bright red line that with that risk confrontation with a nuclear armed uh, power. This is March 9, 2021. And in the March 9, 2021 article, he refers to um, a meeting, a phone conversation between Ukrainian Foreign Minister Dmitro Kuleba and Secretary of State Anthony Blinken. This is February 1, 2021. And Blinken emphasized strong bipartisan support for Ukraine and the priority the United States places on Ukraine's sovereignty, territorial integrity, and Euro-Atlantic aspirations. I mean, if you're Putin, Hmm. if you're a Russian, are you not um, guarded about that last phrase, Euro-Atlantic aspirations? I mean, I get the... um, the bipartisan support for Ukraine, uh, it's, it's sovereignty, it's territorial uh, integrity. I get all that. Um, but Blinken, in that phone conversation, the phone conversation has been made public, Blinken pledged to continue, his words, not mine, you ready? Robust U.S. economic and military assistance. In fact, a new $125 million arms sale um, underscores the Biden administration commitment to Kiev. Security is not mil- merely uh, rhetorical. See, I've, I've heard in conservative circles that the problem with Biden is he failed to follow up with the armaments provided by the Trump administration. He didn't arm the Ukrainians. What is our obligation to arm Ukrainians? I mean, I understand the world's a dangerous place. Guys, that, that we talked earlier this week. This is kind of a, a wrap-up session of the week in review. 
The Lippman Gap. Remember that, Rev? Walter Lippman. You know what that is? The gap is um, a nation's abilities and capacities in contrast with its ambitions. We have more ability than anybody in the world. There is no doubt about that. Militarily, we have um, things the rest of the world can't imagine, can't dream of. But, but we also have a, a limited capacity. We, we have the, the, to me, some of the neocons have these ambitions. And I would argue it's, it's bipartisan. I think there's just as many liberals now. now. Now, liberals will not do it in the name of conserving liberties and freedoms. It's more about globalism and, and this um, international high-mindedness that goes along with climate change and the new world order and John Lennon's Imagine. I mean, that's kind of um, integrated into some of this messaging. But, but, but it's, it's, there is a gap there. I mean, there's a real gap. We're $30 trillion in debt. Of the $30 trillion we're in debt, how much is military spending? I mean, Jim just said he's 30-something. In his early 30s, he, uh, he was 12 years old when we went. How much have we spent in, in what I'd call nonproductive wars, in aiding and assisting uh, things that don't really and truly have America's interest at heart? I mean, you could argue that every single conflict in the history of mankind has another country's interest at heart. But at some point in time, you juxtapose your capacities and abilities to your ambitions. But there, there are a lot of things I'm ambitious about. I wish this happened in my life. I wish that happened in my life. But my capacities create this gap. Sometimes it's real significant. Sometimes not so much. But I think these voices need to be heard more clearly. And we, we probably need to do a better job of articulating ourselves and our stands but um but yeah i mean i think it's a very honorable position to say what happens in ukraine and russia to some degree we're interested but i want to make sure we're doing right by the american people before we're gravely concerned about ukraine and russia back in a minute did my man say a tranquil weather forecast maybe a tranquil weather forecast okay (laughs) let's go to the phone i guess that's good uh gerald in florence hi gerald hey uh good morning Good morning. Uh, yeah, one thing I'd like to, uh, or uh, I've not seen really discussed, is the agreement that the U.S., I think Russia and uh, Great Britain, made with Ukraine uh, in exchange for them uh, giving up their nuclear weapons. I'd just like to know your thoughts on that and why that uh, has not been uh, discussed more. Thank you. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Yeah, we told Ukraine that if um, basically if you destroy all the nuclear weapons, we actually bought them. I mean, there was some you know uh, destruction, but a lot of them were purchased and then we destroyed. Um, that's what we do in America. We got so much money, you know, we just we buy things we don't need and mm-hmm. then we you know tear them apart or just just disassemble some of the um, some of the I don't know the dangerous parts of some of the uh, some of the nuclear weaponry. I'll do this uh, over the weekend because that's a good question. I mean, you know, the deal that we made when the Soviet Union dissolved, what has been America's role in Ukraine being at the doorsteps of Western civilization? I mean, because we believe that's kind of the, um, that, that's the gateway from Eastern Europe into Western civilization. Um, you know, you can't go from Russia straight to England. You got to go through, I'm not talking about, you know, um, geographically, but the mindset of a East, Eastern European and, a, and a, what I call a Western European yeah, Ukraine's kind of the uh, convergence point of that. But, uh, yeah, we, we made a deal. 
I mean, we absolutely made a deal. And um, we got real involved in 2014. We'll, we'll do a kind of a historical analysis of that Monday and um, and get into more specifics and details. Take a break. We'll be back with our Monday. Takes Mondays to make Friday's trivia. Pepsi of Florence has been so kind. Like a lot of our sponsors, I have no idea why you guys have tried to, or decided to saddle up with us, but we're certainly appreciative of that. We do a Takes Mondays to make Friday's trivia question at the end of every Monday and Friday show. This is going to be a little more difficult. And I want to thank Pepsi of Florence. Winter gets a six-pack of Pepsi product, and the Biden supply chain issues have led us to issue only one T-shirt. But here's the question. You ready? It's a quote. Who is this a quote attributed to? If everyone is thinking alike, someone isn't thinking. If everyone is thinking alike, someone isn't thinking. Who is that quote attributed Hmm. to? 843 Six six one zero nine three seven is our number, and if you can tell me who said that, you win a six pack of Pepsi product. A single takes Mondays to make Fridays T shirt, courtesy of our good friends at Pepsi of Florence, who are still supporting this feeble attempt at Radio Briggs. Do we have a call, Rev? We do. Hi, you're on the air. You know the answer. Is it Albert Einstein? Nope, not Einstein. 843-661-0937. If everyone is thinking alike, someone isn't thinking. Hi, what's your guess? George S. Patton Jr. You're, you're right. General George Patton said that. Who is this and where are you calling from? Robert from Florence. Okay, Robert, thank you for the call. Appreciate you listening. Yeah, General Patton said, if everyone is thinking alike, someone isn't thinking. And that's the point I'm trying to get across this morning. I mean, don't buy into the propaganda. Don't buy into the, um, the, the media narrative. Sometimes it's accurate. Most times it's not. Make your own mind up. Think a little bit. Don't think this way because everybody else does. Sometimes thinking the other way makes most sense. But at least think. <laughs> Enjoy your weekend.